moving to order. A land use, housing, and transportation standing committee of the city council. Uh, Madam Clerk, if you would help me with the evacuation announcement and citizen speaker's guideline, I'd appreciate it. Yes, Madam Chair. Upon activation of the emergency alarm signal, all persons should immediately exit the building. Please use the exit to the left or right front of council chamber or the east-west stairwells outside the rear doors of the chamber. Do not use the elevators or the escalator. After exiting the building, proceed to the assembly area located in the parking lot bordered by Clay 8th and 9th Streets. Citizens and employees should assist visually in hearing impaired visitors with exiting the building. Citizens wishing to speak during the public comment period and or public hearing generally will have three minutes to speak. Persons appearing before the committee are not allowed to campaign for public office, promote private business ventures, use language of a personal nature which insults or demeans any person, including comments directed at public officials or staff members that are not related to their official duties, or address the question staff members directly. Direct all questions to the committee chair. Fair to adhere to the guidelines may result in speakers forfeiting any remaining time and further disciplinary action is necessary, which may include barring from attendance at future meetings of the committee for a period of six months. Adhering to Section 8 of Council Rules of Procedure, all, all pe persons standing at this time needs to be seated. Madam Chair, that concludes the announcements. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, there are several um, requests for continuance on the agenda, so I would appreciate it if you would read uh, the revised agenda uh, into the record for a motion for the committee to approve. Yes, ma'am. Item 1, Resolution 2018-R092. Item 2, Ordinance 2018-153. Item 5, Ordinance 2018-289. And item 14, ordinance 2018-231, will all be continued to the February 19th committee meeting. I need a motion to amend the agenda before the committee. So moved. Second. The committee is voting on the motion to amend the agenda as stated. Mr. Jones? Aye. Ms. Gray? Aye. Ms. Robinson? Aye. Thank you. The amended agenda is before committee. Uh, Madam Clerk, would you uh, just indicate those numbers again? I see uh, our citizens trying to make sure that they are following which items will not be heard today so that if you're here to speak to the committee in regards to those items that are being continued, we want to let you know that so that if, if those are the only items that you wanted to speak to the committee about, then... Uh, it's your choice. You can stay with us, but we want to at least let you know that those items will be continued. And they are items number one, resolution 2018-R092. Item two, ordinance 2018-153. Item five, ordinance 2018-289. And item 14, ordinance 2018-231. Okay, thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, as a follow-up uh, to the committee members, there are some items that we had um, thought would be reasonable to take as a block, if the staff would help me out with those uh, transportation and other uh, related items being taken as a block. We understand that there are 
most of the citizens, or we think that many of the citizens are here to speak in regards to uh, some agenda items, and we want to uh, make sure that we appropriate as much time uh, for the committee meeting to address those concerns and make sure that the committee members as well as the citizens have adequate time to express their uh, opinions and concerns as it relates to those ordinances. And, and if the committee would agree uh, to support me in moving forward with the block items first and moving those out of the way and allowing out the remainder of our time for the more uh, robust conversation that we expect to have. And those items, uh, staff, I know I'm putting you on the spot at the last minute, but if, if you bear with it for a minute, I think it would be wise that we do that. Thank you. Page 8. There are a number of papers listed on page 8 of your staff report that deal with um, authorizing the chief administrative officer to enter into standard project agreements with VDOT. Those are ordinance number 2018 Could you give us the number uh, of the ordinance as well? Uh, yes, ma'am. Ordinance you. number 2018-330, 2018-331, 2018-332, And the number on the agenda, just so that the audience can follow us, uh, numbers? Uh, seven, eight, nine, seven, eight, seven, eight, nine, ten, as well as 13? Yes. Okay. So if the committee would support me in moving forward with those items first as a block, is that okay with you all? Okay, fine. Madam Clerk, we'll proceed with those items as a block first. Starting with agenda item number seven. Oh, yes, we'll do that. I just want to make sure that we are clear on that. Okay, I'm sorry. Thank you. All right, so before we um, go into the actual papers on the uh, revised agenda that we've approved, we do have some presentations. Madam Clerk? Madam? And the minutes and all of the other business on the, on the agenda. Yes, ma'am. So we will now move to the public comment period portion of the agenda. This is a time for persons to present um, information to council, I mean to the committee, not pertaining to any items on the meeting agenda. If you're here to speak about an item that is on the agenda, appropriate time will be given for that if that item has not been already continued. Do we have anybody here that would like to address the committee concerning any of those, any items? Not on the agenda. Seeing none, the public comment period is closed. And we will now move to the approval of the minutes. The minutes to be approved are from the November 20th um, meeting. Um, I do know that we do have some member changes, but if I would at this point, if there are no corrections, entertain a motion to approve the minutes as presented from that meeting. So moved. 
The committee is voting on the motion to approve the minutes as presented. Ms. Gray, I mean, Mr. I'm sorry, Mr. Jones. I'm oh, sorry, Ms. Gray. Aye. Chair Robertson. Aye. Thank you. And we will now move to the board vacancies. First consideration, Allison Meister. Allison Meisler, Board and Commissions Administrator. I will um, try to make this as concise as possible because we have a number of things to go over, but you should have a packet. You should have a packet um, next to you. So um, the I'm going to go through each. Uh, board of Building Code Appeals General Division. There are five vacancies and two reappointment applications. Um, one from Mr. William LaFoon for citizen representative, and one from Mr. Davis, or sorry, Thomas Davis for licensed general contractor. The other three vacancies are for alternates. Did you want to take these as a block? Yes. Yes. So we keep going? Or do you want to vote on these? I, let's just vote as we go through it. Um, okay. So would you like a motion? Yes, I would. Okay. I move that we um, free appoint William LaFoon and Thomas Davis to the Board of Building Code Appeals General Division. Okay. And I support that. Okay. So Capital Region Airport Commission has one vacancy with a reappointment application from Mr. Charles McFarlane. Motion. So I'd like to move that we reappoint Mr. Charles McFarlane. Okay. The City Planning Commission has one vacancy with one reappointment application from Mr. Max Hepp Buchanan and three new applications from Ms. Elizabeth Shelley Campbell, Mr. C, sorry, Mr. John C. Greer, and Mr. John D. Reyna. Uh, let me just say, uh, I serve on the Planning Commission as a part of the, as a representative of the Council, and um, Mr. Buchanan has been an excellent member uh, there, and I would recommend reappointment. So I'll support that um, with one comment that I do think that we need, when we're looking at the Planning Commission, we need to um, consider um, the entire geography of the city in future aspects with respect to south side being represented in other areas of our city. I think that's a policy decision that council should make as a policy so that when applications come into the clerk's office for these, if it becomes a policy of the city for representation based on location, um, they would take that advisement. I think we've had that to come up on several occasions. And so if our staff would uh, consider that as it relates to a preparing a recommendation for the full body to determine if they would be a criteria that we would add to the selection of uh, members of wards and commissions, I would appreciate that help. Thank you. All right. Okay, so we have support to continue with Mr. Buchanan. Okay. The Clean City Commission has a total of six vacancies. One vacancy for the first district representative that has no applications at this time. 
One vacancy for the second district representative with a reappointment application from Ms. Miriam Lack. One vacancy for the third district representative with a reappointment application from Mr. Edward Gilchrist. Three vacancies for the corporate citizen, corporate slash citizen volunteer representatives. There are two reappointment applications, one from Mr. Julian Gordon and one from Ms. Jane Hotkish, and two new applications from Mr. Avahan uh, Carpenter and one and another from Mr. Joseph Stemmel. So for the three vacancies for the third district? Sorry, but three vacancies for corporate citizen volunteer representative. And four applicants, two reappointments. So I would recommend the two reappointments to move forward. And there are two more applicants, and we have to decide on one between the two. That's fine. So I think Carpenter is the recommended name. Avaham Carpenter. And the two reappointments, Julian Gordon and M. Jane Hotchkiss. As well as the reappointments for the second district. Okay. Miriam Lack and Albert Gilchrist. Yes. Mr. Jones, you support that recommendation? Thank you. All right. Okay. The Safe and Healthy Streets Commission has one vacancy with a reappointment application from Ms. Mary Larson and one new application from Mr. Ross Castro. Motion. So I would move for reappointment of Ms. Larson. Thank you. Any opposition? Thank you. Okay. The Urban Design Committee has three vacancies. One vacancy for this Static Arts Field representative, but no applications. A reappointment application for Miss Andrea Allman for landscape architect. Two applications for citizen at large representative, which has one vacancy. Um, Mr. John uh, Bolsick and Mr. John D. Reyna. Are either of these applicants serving on other boards and commissions that you're aware of? N not that I'm aware of, no. Okay. Recommendation between the two new representatives for citizen at large. Reference. Ms. Gray. Yes. Uh, if I could just make one basic recommendation that mm -hmm. all of our forms look alike, or at least by the time they get to us, 
because I just have two forms uh, for the same board and commission, but there, and, and I know this is a little thing, but I just, this just sometimes perturbs, this irks me, but I, I just have two different formats. Okay. And so if, if they could just be, you know, the, the same form, the same presentation, um, that, that's just something I would ask. Sure. Thanks. So um, I'd like to recommend John Reyna. Okay. Opposition to, all right. You got that? Okay. Uh, Urban Forestry Commission has three vacancies and three mayoral appointments, a reappointment application for Miss Mary Larson for the city resident vacancy, and there are no applications for a certified arborist certifi or a certified landscape architect, and there are no mayoral designees at this time. So I'd like to recommend reappointment of Miss Larson. Thank you. Any opposition? Thank you. Okay. And the following boards have vacancies but no applications at this time. Uh, the board of the board of building code appeals electoral division has four vacancies the board of building code appeals built plumbing and mechanical division has two vacancies the board of directors for central virginia waste management authority has three vacancies the citizen transportation advisory committee has one vacancy and the commission of architectural review has one vacancy mr jones May I ask, what are we doing to fill these vacancies or what needs to be done? Sorry, can you repeat that? What, what needs to be done to fill these vacancies? Um, so it, my effort has been I have reached out to your liaisons to ask that they push it out to each of uh, in your methods of communication. Um, we're working to hopefully revamp some of our other methods, um, maybe moving to a little bit more up-to-date stuff, um, hopefully with a new website design and um, application forms changing so that's that's the start at least anything that my office can do to help get the word out to ninth district residents whether we you know make it a part of our our monthly sure. uh, newsletter uh, mailings and or just general announcements but something that's you know kind of clear, quick, concise that we can just hand out to okay. them and say, Absolutely. here are the vacancies that you might be eligible or interested in. So, Okay. Yeah, I can do that. I can provide you all with something, a blurb of some sort. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that concludes. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Okay, so we have a motion by Ms. Gray, Vice Chair Gray, to for the recommendation. Mr. Jones, will you second those mo that motion for the recommendations for the Boards and Commission? The committee is voting on the motion to forward the recommendations as stated to council with his recommendation to approve Mr. Jones. Aye. Vice Chair Gray. Aye. Chair Robertson. Aye. Thank you. Hey, madam, madam, we move to the presentations? Yes, ma'am. We are first presentations bike share program.
Hello. Thank you for coming. Good afternoon. To presentation. I'm Jacob Helmbold with the uh, Department of Public Works. Here to give uh, at, at the council's request an uh, update on RVA bike share system. Uh, just a general update and provide an opportunity for you for you to uh, ask any questions. So some of this I think uh, you're probably familiar with. Just a recap um, of background. Phase one, what is out on the ground now, uh, was funded at 1.35 million. Uh, just over a million of that came from federal CMAC dollars with a small 20% match from city CIP funds. That provided for 20 stations, 220 bikes, um, and CMAC also covered the first year of operations and maintenance. That basically is kind of a turnkey approach, everything from uh, daily operation, rebalancing, maintenance of the equipment, um, ancillary costs for the vendor. Uh, it was launched August 28th, getting a little bit of feedback, of 2017, so we're uh, not quite a year and a half into operations. Um, the vendor, Bewegan, uh, that provides the equipment, the software, the back-end operations, uh, has a sub-core logistics that provides the day-to-day -day operations. So currently we have 16 stations on the ground, 160 bikes typically. Uh, it's about a 10 to 1 um, ratio of bikes to stations in operation. Four stations uh, were planned for non-city properties, um, and we're still working through some lease agreement details. Three of those were proposed for VCU, one at the convention center. Um, additionally, electrical connections and retrofits of existing stations to provide electricity to them is underway. Um, basically, from the outset, we wanted to transition to what are called pedelec, or electric assist bikes, um, that adds... Um, adds value to the system, makes it more attractive, makes it more usable, especially uh, in our hillier areas on hot days, increases the range that users uh, can actually use the system for. Currently, we have four electrified, five are in the uh, implementation process of being electrified, and we have plans for getting some additional stations within the existing and uh, pending stations electrified as well to support that move to electric assist. Um, the first year of operations, again, was funded through CMAC. It was at a agreed-upon uh, flat fee of 393000 for a full year. Um, that has also uh, or will be uh, potentially offset through the revenue that's being received. To date, we've received about 70000 in revenue. Um, we're in, again, our second year of operations. We're working on um, that same contract paying a monthly fee based on that 393000 annual contract while we're still operating this first phase um, configuration. Um, the user fees and advertisement sponsorship, uh, we anticipate increasing a little bit in, as we move into this second year, up to probably about 100000 anticipated with uh, once we started uh, adding some additional stations and the electric pedal assist um, the available CMAC funds are also covering that continued operation. CMAC provides for um, basically three years of funding to get a program up, running, and sustainable. So at this time, there's no general fund impacts. Phase two um, is budgeted at a one, basically $1.5 million. Again, 100% CMAC funding. What that would do is three primary things. Upgrade the existing fleet of 220 bikes to all Pedelec electric assist. 
it would add 20 additional stations and it would add 220 bikes, all of which would be Pedelec, so the whole fleet upon expansion would be electric assist bikes. Um, the O&M costs for the fully implemented phase two system is to be negotiated with Bewegan. When we negotiated the contract, they agreed to basically a revenue sharing approach whereby anything over break even, any revenues would be split. Anything, if uh, there was a shortfall of break even, they would absorb uh, the shortfall. Basically, that's contingent upon us moving to all Pedelec and having all the electrical connections in place to support uh, the charging needs of Pedelec. So um, we're working on setting up the system to provide for that. Again, so current status, phase two equipment is in production. Uh, we've received all of the kits to retrofit the existing fleet and currently um, there are about 30 bikes that have been retrofitted. They're doing several a day. Uh, so um, we anticipate adding the 20 stations, or excuse me, um, again, the intent with phase two is adding 20 additional stations, 220 additional bikes, all Pedelec. Um, and again, we're looking at station locations and currently working on electrical connections to support that full transition to Pedelec. Um, we anticipate doing a limited rollout of the electric assist bikes in the next few weeks since we have some on hand uh, and then roll out more of the first phase fleet once we get more stations uh, connected to the grid so as to support that charging need so it doesn't entail um, too great a logistical challenge on the part of the vendor to move stuff around to ensure adequate charging. We anticipate having that first phase uh, retrofit complete by May. Um, and then we would continue working through the expansion to have the additional stations and additional bikes on the ground in place uh, late summer of this year, 2019. Um, so at this time, I'm happy to take any questions that you may have as well. Thank you, Jay, for the presentation. Um, questions? Ms. Gray. Thank you for that. I'm glad to hear that the additional stations are pending. Um, are we going to put them closer together, or are we trying to spread it out? Because what I'm hearing from folks is that they want to utilize the service, but they're so spread out where they can dock that it doesn't save time. So more stations is closer together is better? Yes, it would be a combination. It would be basically expanding the footprint so that there's a larger service area, but also filling in gaps where um, some of the holes, if you will, exist in the system. Bike share is often referred to as bike transit, so it functions similarly kind of to your point. It's a lot like distance to a transit stop, um, quarter mile. They both share kind of a similar threshold in terms of the utility and usability um, being convenient to be able to get to or from your origin or destination. You have to have them close enough. So there's a proximity to destinations, and then there's also a proximity to other stations so that it um, kind of fills in the area, as you're kind of alluding to. So, again, it will be both filling in gaps and expanding uh, to have a broader reach. And are we using the pulse as the spine, for lack of a better term? to decide where these 
are going? To a degree. There are currently five that are located on the Pulse Corridor. Um, the intent was to have them work in tandem. Um, there are basically a number of factors that come into play, uh, sidewalk space, ability to connect to power, um, the spatial distribution. So uh, we kind of take kind of a hierarchical approach of kind of getting the general footprint and then selecting candidate locations and then going out and looking at the specific site requirements and implications at any given location, trying to find an, an appropriate location. But the idea is to integrate with transit and in particular with the Pulse so that it acts, provides uh, good access to the Pulse. Okay, just one final question. And that, um, I've had to chase some kids off from yanking the bikes out. Have we done anything to try to mitigate stolen bikes? And will the new electric bikes have better docking systems where you can't just snatch them? So we've, we've had a relative, uh, relatively small number that people have actually been able to kind of break free. Um, the vendor has... Uh, been retrofitting two things. One, the locking mechanism on the bike to go to a harder metal, basically to a steel device that doesn't allow it to be um, pulled free as easily, and also to do a minor modification to the docks uh, themselves to make them more robust so that it, it limits that. Um, so we, luckily we've not had an excessive number of problems um, so we anticipate that that will be reduced even further. Thank you. Thank you very much for your presentation. Uh, my family, we've used the bikes on several occasions, and so uh, it was very, um, it, it was a great experience. And so just want to appreciate everything that's being done there. Thank you. Uh, a few questions. Um, one, how many bikes have been lost? Um, not necessarily damage or things of that nature, but how many, you know, how much shrinkage have we had from that standpoint? As far as uh, actual loss, I believe it's six that were unrecovered. Um, I don't know as far as those that were taken um, that were, were not auth by authorized users, um, but as far as taken and not recovered, um, it was six bikes, I think, at this point. Okay, thank you. Uh, six out of a fleet of how many? Of 220. 220, all right, great, thank you. Um, are there any tracking systems on these bicycles? There are. They each have a GPS. Um, so as long as, as long as the battery is charged, um, it's pinging, so that helps in the recovery. It's, uh, uh, you know, obviously if the battery goes dead, then that, that tracking uh, you know, is, is no longer functioning at that point. And then just final question, any, uh, any thought of putting video cameras at these locations or anything of that nature? or any I have not had any specific discussion as to that. Um, I guess that would partly be consistent with um, some of the broader um, security camera um, efforts by the city that might augment that. And again, if, and, and there are a number of cameras at other facilities or nearby facilities in some cases that help to uh, provide that opportunity, I guess, for um, review of the stations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate your presentation. Thank you. 
Uh, I just want to remind the committee uh, for our presentations, we're trying to keep them within 15, 20 minutes. Um, and so we'll move forward with the next presentation as well. Madam Clerk. Yes, ma'am. We will now have a um, presentation on Opportunity Zones. Good afternoon. I'm Kristen Dahlman, a senior policy analyst with the Department of Housing and Community Development. Um, try to keep it as brief as I can uh, when talking about tax benefits here, so I'll uh, see so how we well I do. You, welcome the presentation, and this is something that's extremely important to us as a committee uh, in the city. So. Um, so a little bit of background, um, Opportunity Zones was enacted as part of the Federal Tax and Jobs Act back um, in December of 2017. Um, the chief patron of it was uh, Senator Tim Scott, but our own um, Senator Warner um, was one of the uh, co-patrons of the bill. Um, it was a freestanding bill, and then they um, enrolled it into the larger um, Federal Tax and Jobs Act. Um, so... Um, the way that a lot of people are looking at this tax benefit is that it's another tool in the toolbox for investment revitalization in communities. Um, so to explain to you what those benefits are, so the first is um, um, an investor that has a capital gain um, will then defer that gain into an opportunity fund, which will be used solely for the purpose of investing in an opportunity zone business or business property, and that has to be located within an opportunity zone. So um, if they do this, um, they can receive a temporary tax deferral up until December 31st, 2026. Um, and then the second um, tiered benefit is um, a step-up in basis, so their basis starts at zero. Um, if the investor holds their investment um, for at least five years, they get a 10% reduction in tax liability. Um, if they hold for an additional two years for a total of seven years, um, they will get a 15% reduction in tax liability of the original capital gain. Um, and then after, so we're at 2019 now, so um, the deferral period and um, the step up in basis, um, so they'll owe taxes um, in 2026. So granted, if they invest by this year, um, they'll receive that full seven-year step up in basis um, tax benefit um, after um, they pay taxes in on, after December 31st, 2026. Uh, if they hold for an additional three more years for that 10-year holding period. Um, so their basis is now the fair market value. So any appreciation on that gain, so if they decide to sell after 10 years, um, will be completely tax-free to them. Um, and so I, I have a timeline here um, and, and in front of you too. So just to give you an example again, um, an investor has maybe $1 million in capital gains this month. Um, they have six months to um, deploy that and put that in, into an opportunity fund. 
Um, and so by June 30th, 2019 here, um, they'll have invested their money into this fund, um, start investing in uh, an opportunity zone business or business property. Um, they hold that investment for five years, so now we're at about June 20th, 2023. They received that first step up in basis um, of 10%. Um, they want to hold for another two years, um, so then that'll be um, an additional 5% for a total of 15% step up in basis. Um, and then we get to December 31st, 2026, tax deferral period's over. Um, so say they have that $1 million um, investment held for these seven years, um, they will only owe taxes on 850k instead of 1 million, um, and then after that, their basis goes up to the fair market value. So, say after 10 years, um, they sell their asset and it's now appreciated to 3 million. They will not owe any taxes on that appreciation from their original 1 million dollar um, investment. Um, so. What exactly are these funds? Um, so taxpayers can self-certify on their tax return. Um, so it can be a group of individuals uh, formed as an LLC partnership, um, or it can be um, corporations, companies as well, setting these up. Um, U.S. Treasury released some draft regulations. Um, they are still in draft form right now, but um, they did clarify that the only um, gains eligible are capital gains um, to um, qualify for the tax benefit. Um, and so they must hold 90% of their assets in the qualified opportunities on property or business. So they do have 10% to um, use maybe for other parts of the investment that, um, that they won't need to meet um, certain qualifications as set out by um, U.S. Treasury. Um, and again, they have six months to deploy the capital from the first month into the project. Um, and it's measured based on a 90% asset test. Um, so I keep saying they have to invest in an opportunity zone business or business property. So could be commercial real estate and renovation, um, could be any startup business. Um, it could be an existing business that wants to expand um, within an opportunity zone. It could be an existing business that decides to relocate within an opportunity zone in the city as well. So. Um, there's a lot of different ways um, or a lot of different investments uh, that investors have um, potential to invest in um, with this tax benefit program. So um, substantially all of the tangible property owned or leased by the taxpayer um, is opportunity zone business property. So um, the substantial portion of the intangible property uh, must be used in the active conduct, conduct of business. Um, the substantially all test, too, um, so U.S. Treasury, um, as part of their draft regulations, which I'll go over in a little bit, but um, they spelt out that only 70% um, will constitute a substantially all of the property um, has to be within an opportunity zone. So say a business has a few locations, as long as 70% of their operations are within the zone, they can receive, or the investor can receive the tax benefits for investing in that business, and likewise with the property as well. Um, so, nice thing about um, this tax credit program, it can be layered with other incentives, um, such as the historic tax credit, um, the length period um, that um, for holding on historic tax credits lines up nicely with that 10-year holding period. Same with the low-income housing tax credit. There are some developers and 
firms that are already looking at how you can stack those credits together with opportunity zones. Um, any local incentives to state grants, um, any foundations, um, other capital too, um, and then of course bonds, loans can also be used in conjunction. Um, it's, it's likely that um, the capital coming from um, these investors may only account for maybe 5 to 30 percent of the capital needed for a project, so it's definitely going to need some capital stacking for um, some projects. Um, so I keep talking about opportunity zones. What are they? Um, so they're low-income census tract um, as certified by um, U.S. Treasury, and they use criteria based um, on the American Community Survey from 2015 and 2016 by the U.S. Census. So a tract qualified based on the fact whether it had a poverty rate of at least 20% or the median income had to be 80% of the statewide median income. Um, so when we were given this data, um, uh, the governor was received a letter um, in January about this time last year um, stating that they had nine, he had 90 days to nominate um, some of Virginia's um, low-income census tracts to become um, qualified opportunity zones. Um, in the federal statute, um, he was only allowed to um, nominate 25% of the total eligible in the Commonwealth, so we ended up with 901, and we had to whittle that down to 212. Um, so the governor asked um, our department, the Department of Housing, Community Development, and the Virginia Economic Development Partnership um, to help craft the nominations. Um, and so we ended up um, helping the governor submit on his behalf, um, nominate the maximum number of low-income census tracts that we could um, for the Commonwealth. Um, so on the map here, as you can see, um, what we really tried to do is be proportionate, um, proportional across the state. Um, we divided the state into Go Virginia regions and also economic development regions. And from there, we determined the proportional share that should be in those economic development regions and Go Virginia regions as well. Um, we also tried to be proportional at the local level. So um, areas such as the city of Richmond had a lot more census tracts that qualified than other areas um, based on the density of the population here. So we tried to um, make sure that um, cities such as Richmond had their proportional share. Um, in addition to um, one of the biggest um, one of the biggest things that we really focused on was local input. So we asked all of our local governments to submit a survey um, telling us what were their priority tracks. Um, and especially if they had more than one track, we asked them to rank them in priority um, to help us craft these nominations. And so I'd like to thank the city for um, their input, and they, um, we, that certainly helped us um, give the city um, a lot of their top priorities here. Um, which you can see here, so um, where the city has um, the Opportunity Zone um, designations, um, it's actually over the Diamond. You have Scott's Edition. Um, it's right over the Coliseum as well. And then you have parts of Manchester um, and then the Port of Virginia sites going down I-95 there too. So, um, and then um, Henrico actually nominated one right next door, which is um, part of the airport track there, too. So, um, but the, this was all based on feedback that we, we received from the city. 
Um, I took this from our interactive map online, too, so um, we do have a contact for the city up um, if someone were to click on one of these zones right now. Um, so this is part of our kind of educational and clearinghouse efforts. Um, in order to connect investors with our local governments, we, um, we have this interactive map up on our website here um, that has contact information for all our local governments. Um, and so... Um, in addition to the map, um, I'm going around the state and doing a lot of educational briefings to all different stakeholder groups, not just our local governments, just trying to get people up to speed on what's going on. Um, we've produced a couple educational documents. Um, we have a fact sheet up on our website. Um, and uh, I'm basically serving as the clearinghouse, so um, we have different investors or developers asking how they can get involved. Um, business owners, too. We have entrepreneurs. So it's really um, a bringing together of a lot of different stakeholders right now um, around this new tax credit. So where are we now? Um, I keep mentioning these draft regulations. Um, they were posted for a 60-day comment period in the fall. That comment period ended December 28, 2018. They were supposed to have a public comment period on all of those comments on January 10th. That was canceled because of the federal shutdown. So um, I have no um, answer at this time as to when some of these draft regulations will actually go into effect. Um, but there are some investors who are waiting for the draft regulations to become finalized. Um, some are plugging ahead. Some are not. So um, we're really hoping that this process um, speeds up, because I know even for the IRS tax form, um, there's a lot of um, errors on that that a lot of folks notice, so there's a lot of things that they still need to improve before the program takes off. Um, another question I get, too, is um, can any of the designations, can we resubmit for new designations? Not at this time. They are set in stone unt until um, this legislation expires, which is December 31st, 2028. So these designations will stay put unless Congress re-ups the program. Um, another thing, too, it looks like the benefits are running out right now. Um, so Congress could re-up some of the benefits, depending on how much interest there is in the program. Um, one of the draft regulations right now, though, um, for the 10-year holding period special rule, so as long as an investor um, recognizes that gain and invest up until um, – and at least defers that gain up until December 31st, 2026, and then holds for 10 years, Treasury will actually honor that investment and still give them that um, no tax on the appreciation on that gain after 10 years up until 2047. Um, so the other benefits right now, the tax deferral, the 5 and 7% step up in basis are diminishing benefits right now. We're not sure if Congress is going to change that, but as of right now, Treasury does have that special rule for the 10-year holding period. As I mentioned earlier, too, 70% of a qualified opportunity zone business tangible property will meet the substantially all requirement. Um, and third, um, I talked about how they have 180 days or only six months to start deploying capital into a project. That doesn't really work nicely with construction projects, so um, Treasury is offering this um, 31-month working capital grace period um, for meeting that 90% asset test. So this is good for smaller construction projects because they will have more time before they need to deploy that capital into the project and meet the 90% asset test. So um, again, though, these are all part of the draft regulations, which are still in draft mode. 
Um, it, again, they were supposed to release another set of draft regulations. Um, unclear whether we can use these for um, for public facilities, but at this time, I would say if you have a mixed-use development, uh, the tax credit can probably be used for other properties, not public. Um, so that's what I would um, say at this time. Um, and just remember, it's a this is a new asset class coming in um, with equity to um, projects, and we do have investors that are interested in this area and other areas of the Commonwealth. So, um, might be some good opportunities. Okay, thank you very much for the presentation. Uh, I'm sure there are questions of the committee, uh, and probably lots of questions. I almost think that this requires a special work session maybe uh, for the committee or and with the financial uh, incentives and credits, uh, tax credits. Um, Councilman Jones, I would like to suggest that maybe as chair of the finance committee uh, and myself as land use that maybe we would ask the staff to convene a, a work session for us to talk about the zones that are in the city of Richmond and what our master planning process is for that area and look at opportunities to make sure that we'll be in as proactive as we can to take advantage of this opportunity. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Ms. Gray, you have some questions that you just... Well, I'm I have yeah. too many questions for yeah. today. So um, are you available for additional questions at a later time? And um, uh, Yes. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And you're welcome to be a part of this special task force because I, I do think this is something we need uh -huh. to get down in the weeds and make sure that the city is prepared for. I have a lot of my district and opportunity zones with a lot of growth happening. So thank All you. Right. Thank you so much. And yep. you've enticed us to get more involved and continue to work. Thank you. We look forward to working with you. All right. Thank you. Madam Clark, what's next? Um, we, we will now move to papers for consideration. Yes. Um, so I previously stated um, those papers that we would like to take as a block, um, and I would like to proceed with that only if the committee members feel like uh, the information, the, the papers that we are considering, if we were considering them as a consent agenda, that there wouldn't be uh, lots of questions in regards to the purposes to try to move forward so we can get the agenda clear to deal with the items that we know is going to take more time. Is that, Mike? That's a consensus of the committee? Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right, Madam Clerk, we'll do the block. <clears throat> yes, ma'am. And our first item, item 7, ordinance 2018-330, to authorize the CAO to execute a standard project administration agreement between the city and VDOT, to provide funding for the upgrading of the city's traffic signal system for the purpose of maintaining transit schedules, improving emergency vehicle response, enhancing multimodal operations, and lowering vehicle emissions. Item 8, Ordinance 2018-331, to authorize the CAO to execute a standard project administration agreement between the city and VDOT to provide funding for the installation of pedestrian access and safety improvements on Hall Street between West 9th Street and the southern terminus of Mayo Bridge. Ordinance 
Item 9, Ordinance 2018-332, to authorize the CAO to execute a standard project administration agreement between the city and VDOT to provide funding for the installation of pedestrian access and safety improvements on the streets surrounding the park at Kanawa Plaza. Item 10, Ordinance 2018-333, to authorize the CAO to execute a standard project administration agreement between the city and VDOT to provide funding for the design and construction of the fully accessible pedestrian infrastructure to improve access to GRTC transit stops. And item 13, Ordinance 2019-007, to authorize the CEO to execute an agreement between the city and VDOT for funding the relocation and adjustment of water and sanitary sewer facilities as part of the Franklin Street off-ramp project. Madam Chair, those papers are before committee. Move forward to the public hearing on those papers, ma'am. We will now have a public hearing on this item. Do we have those that would like to speak in favor of the paper before committee? Papers, rather. Those in opposition? Seeing none, the public hearing is closed. Back to the committee for its discussion. Motion? I move that we forward these to the full council with a recommendation for approval. Second. The committee is voting on a motion to forward these items, Ordinance 2018-330-2018-331-2018-332-2018-333-2019-007 to council with a recommendation to approve. Mr. Jones? Aye. Vice Chair Gray? Aye. Chair Robertson? Aye. Madam Chair, would you like For us to so um, let's do uh, agenda item number twelve with the same intention. Yes, ma'am. Item twelve, ordinance two thousand eighteen three thirty five to designate the Cannon Creek Greenway bicycle and pedestrian trail between Henrico Drive and Richmond Henrico Turnpike in honor of Dr. Charles Price. That papers before committee. Public hearing. We will now open the floor for a public hearing on this item. Do we have those that would like to speak in favor or opposition? Seeing none, the public hearing is closed. Back to the committee. Motion. Mr. Jones. Well, then we move this forward to full council with the recommendation to approve. Second. I'll second it. The committee is voted on the motion to forward item 12, ordinance 2018, the council with a recommendation to approve. Mr. Jones. Aye. Chair Robertson. Aye. Oh, okay. Vice Chair Gray. So noted. Thank you. Okay, uh, with that, I think we are ready to deal with agenda item number 3 and 4. Uh, we'll start with agenda item number 3. Yes, ma'am. I want to thank the audience for your, I know you come to a meeting at 3 o'clock and you don't expect to get to your agenda item at 4, but uh, this is city council, this is government business, and this is how it happens, okay? Item 3, ordinance 2018-194, 
to prohibit on Brook Road between Azalea Avenue and Brook Road's intersection with West Charity Street, new travel lanes from being designated to accommodate bicycle traveling lanes currently designated for motor vehicle travel. That paper's before committee. All right, we will first have a presentation from the administration on this paper. Um, hopefully, um, there won't, we will, if the committee will have questions of the administration, we'll entertain those at that time. Um, but if the committee can reserve questions until we get through the public hearing process uh, and the administration will be available to come back and answer questions as questions may come up. Uh, that is directly related to the administration. All right. Uh, so we will receive a presentation on this paper from um, an opening presentation, perhaps, from the patron, um, and, and then a presentation uh, if there is clarification that, would, that you would like to add to the introductory statement, and then we'll have a presentation from the administration. Thank you. I'll be out as brief as possible. Just Thank wanted you. to um, share some photographs that I have with the two of you and um, state that we, um, Mr. Hilbert and I, sent another follow up correspondence to the mayor and his administration. And what we're really asking for is um, some modifications or communications with us to sit down and help us um, look at the context of, of the design and where it's going. And um, there are four distinct uses along this corridor. One is um, heavy industrial. There are tractor trailers backing up into bays all day and coming out. And um, there's, there are residences with driveways. So... There are um, concerns around a one-size-fits-all design that just um, will cause some concerns and issues with residents and businesses alike. So we'd like to have a longer conversation. Um, we've written and asked for that, and that has not been responded to in a way that we um, have moved with any... any subjects to um, meaningful result. So, thank you. <laughs> so, um, I guess we're at a point where we either vote this up or down. Uh, we have two uh, presentations that I think we have uh, significant uh, citizens uh, that would like to speak to. Um, we will appropriate um, no, twenty five minutes for each of them, which means that we will still try to finish up our agenda by five. Um, so with that uh, administration, uh, the charge uh, and the quest uh, from the patron is uh, whether or not we've had the kind of dialogue. So if you could please give us a presentation on this uh, project from where we are, how we got to where we are today, and uh, your position as it relates to uh, the implementation of a bike lane. Good afternoon, Madam Chair, 
May I ask that there is some uh, issues going on to upload the upload our presentation on the screen. Lisa Braxton, she's working on the back to upload it, so it may take a couple of minutes, a few minutes. So, if you think that we can have that time, or we can come back on this item in the next five minutes. Let uh, me let me check with Lisa how quick we can upload that. So if you can give and a couple of minutes. Someone just briefly say what if any anything is being done to address the concerns that we're hearing from our constituents along that corridor. Yes, we did, and we like to present, and we like to show that uh, all the things that uh, concerns for the safety service operation, all these things has been addressed, and uh, we if there's any. Local concern, we still can uh, work with the constituents and yourself. But uh, I think that's part of the presentation we can show to everyone. So with, with that, if, if, if we're not sure how long it's going to take you to get that information ready for presentation, I do think that the visual part of the presentation is going to be helpful because I want to make sure that the audience follow us as we go through this conversation and that if there are... Um, uncertainties as it relates to the presentation or their questions are not being answered, when they come forward to make their comments, they'll have an opportunity to address that. So I want to make sure that we give them the full benefit of that. Yes, ma'am. Um, we would like to have presentation up there. Is it up? Let me see. If you can have, let me check with Lisa. Good afternoon, Jacob Helmbolt, Department of Public Works. Uh, thank you for bearing with us and assisting to get that presentation up for us. Um, very quickly, obviously, this is to address Ordinance 2018-194 to prohibit the bike lanes on Brook Road. Real quick um, on the background and purpose of the project, Brook Road was identified in could you Multiple. lift your mic up just a little bit? I want to make sure that sure. everyone can hear Is this any well. better? Yes, much better. Okay. I was hoping to avoid feedback. Um, so Brook Road has been identified in, in multiple city plans dating back almost 20 years to uh, the 2000 master plan as a corridor proposed to receive bike lanes. Uh, the plans, uh, the various plans over many years call for development of a comprehensive network of bikeways to improve safety and provide more transportation and mobility options. Uh, and so uh, it's also an opportunity to address other needs along bikeway corridors. Typically, we look at things in a comprehensive, holistic manner to address things like speeding, pedestrian exposure at larger intersections. Um, so to have the cumulative effects through that design process is the intent. Very quickly, a, a project timeline um, may be a little bit hard to see uh, from the audience. Basically, going back to 2000, the currently adopted uh, city master plan developed in 2000, adopted in January of 2001, 18 years ago. 
um, included bike lanes proposed for Brook Road, among others. Uh, the 2004 Regional Bike and Pedestrian Plan proposed bike lanes in the East Coast Greenway on Brook Road. Uh, the 2010 Mayor's uh, Task Force that looked at several recommendations, all of which were adopted by Council, included a bikeway network, including uh, Brook Road, the Strategic Multimodal Transportation Plan, the City's uh, Bike Master Plan in 2015, also the VUU uh, Chamberlain Neighborhood Plan, which was adopted by Council, included a separated bike lane on Brook Road. So it's been included in a number of different official planning documents uh, over the years. Uh, so the, the project then was uh, initially developed with public input starting in 2016 um, and went through a, a fairly uh, lengthy process of gaining feedback from the public about preferred alternatives, design details through an iterative approach, uh, reaching out through multiple channels and conduits, um, and coming up with a design that has been in place now um, for quite some time. Uh, it's also, uh, there's additional support from the Vision Zero Action Plan, Better Streets Manual, the Pedestrian Safety Action Plan, uh, and again, the Greece, Green Co East Coast Greenway Alliance has uh, identified Brook as their preferred alignment for their Maine to Florida route. So real quickly, the existing conditions, uh, most people are familiar with Brook Road. It's a four-lane, median-divided roadway, turn lanes at a number of the intersections, including uh, many of the minor intersections that are unsignalized. As a result, one of the things that we've heard a lot about is the speed. Currently, two-thirds of drivers are exceeding the posted speed of 35 miles an hour. Um, the majority of Brook Road is residential, so... Uh, cars driving 40, 45 miles an hour routinely, um, we've heard from many people, is not conducive to that residential environment. The volumes along the entire corridor range from about 8,000 to 12,000, which are well within Federal Highway Administration's uh, guidelines for what's referred to as a road diet or a roadway conversion. 20,000 is kind of the ballpark rule of thumb um, limit where you start getting into issues with being able to accommodate a diet. So again, we're well within that 20,000 threshold. Uh, space, lots of asphalt. The result is that, again, that's reflected in the speed. Um, lots of excess capacity, especially during off-peak, uh, induces a lot of uh, uh, undesirable speeding. As part of the design, we did what's called a critical lane volume traffic study in 2016 that looked at um, the, the major intersections along the corridor to see what kind of capacity was needed to address the amount of traffic that was uh, present on Brook Road. And we also considered future conditions. Uh, we took a conservative approach basically to retain intersection capacity, at, especially at the bigger intersections. So basically, there's one of the things that seems to be kind of a, a bit of a a misunderstanding is that it will be a one-way road, or um, excuse me, a one-lane road throughout the whole corridor, when in fact at the busier intersections we're retaining that four-lane cross-section uh, capacity, or eight lanes when you look at the full width, curb to curb. So basically, in some instances, we're retaining two through lanes, a dedicated left and a dedicated right to make sure that, that intersection capacity can handle those turning movements without bottling up traffic and causing uh, excess delay. 
Um, we also included Westwood in that, even though currently the analysis showed that it would function just fine with one. Even with some of the growth, it would probably function just fine with one through lane. But again, we took a conservative approach, not knowing just how exactly the patterns would play out to ensure that there's more than adequate capacity at that particular intersection. Uh, additionally, the Richmond signal system phase three is being rolled out. So basically, we're doing a bunch of signal retimings to make for better, more efficient, um, and safer functioning of our signal system. Again, traffic volumes are modest, low growth rates. Now, there is, the, uh, of course, the unknowns of future land use. We don't have a crystal ball. But based on what we know and what we can foresee, based on what we see happening, we are comfortable in uh, the, the design and the implications in terms of maintaining the operations on that roadway. Some of the key design considerations that went into how we approached this design and came out the back end with the design uh, as it's on the plan sheets now. First off, we approach every project with safety in mind for all users. That's uh, inherent in any process, and it's, it's the absolute priority. Safety is the number one issue. We looked at issues of parking, travel lanes, and speed management, emergency vehicle response. We heard a good bit about that. Again, because of the fact that there are turn lanes, um, parking lanes that oftentimes have low utilization, um, there are plenty of opportunities along the entire corridor for vehicles to move out of the way and for emergency vehicles to pass uh, with, without undue delay. Uh, again, we looked at intersection capacity along the entire corridor. We looked at pedestrian safety improvements. Right now, there's not a lot in the way of pedestrian accommodations to cross Brook Road. Through this design, there are a number of intersections where we have reduced the pedestrian exposure, making for a safer crossing at many of the intersections. Uh, we obviously looked at transit stops with the new transit network plan to ensure continuity of service and access. Uh, we looked at driveway access to ensure that vehicles would have access if they have driveways um, that serve their properties now, whether residential or commercial. And again, uh, operations and services, snow removal, trash removal, um, all of those things that need to be done on a day-to-day, week-by-week basis um, were considered throughout the whole design process. So a couple of uh, visuals to kind of help understand the proposed design. The typical cross-section is shown in kind of that upper left-hand rendering where it is a bike lane curbside, a buffer, what's referred to as the floating parking, and a travel lane. Um, you can see a visual representation of a similar project that is not in Richmond, but just kind of a similar design. And then the overhead plan view showing kind of how that's laid out. And you can see basically like at intersections where we're maintaining corner clearance uh, to ensure uh, good sight distance for safety and adequate turning radius for larger vehicles, whether it's a trash truck or an emergency response vehicle like a Quint, a larger fire engine. A couple of visuals. This is Fairfield Way. This has a very similar cross-section um, to Brook Road and would utilize a very similar striping arrangement. So again, you can kind of see where the parking lane uh, is buffered and blocked out at the intersections to allow a large turning radius for larger vehicles to ensure unfettered uh, access to those side streets. Um, the floating parking, utilizing flex posts to ensure that people aren't driving in it. 
Um, it's, it would be parking 24-7, so that allows us to utilize paint and posts at those intersections to make sure it's very clear as to where the parking is, where the travel lanes are, where the turn lanes are. So that's just an example there on Fairfield. Uh, the, the image there from Google, the leftmost lane is a turn lane. The lane with the US 360 is the through lane, and then the lane to the right is at the termination of the parking lane uh, in advance of an intersection. And then, of course, the bike lane along the curb. This is an aerial uh, or overhead plan view, again, showing Westwood Avenue as an example of where we retained extra capacity. Uh, so you can see how at the intersections it picks up the turn lane. In this instance, retention of the two through lanes, addition of a right turn lane as it stands now. It's a combined through and right turn, so this actually helps channelize and separate traffic even further to make it more organized in terms of the movements. Uh, so just, just an example of the, the gray arrows are the existing, the darker arrows are uh, where it would be kind of reconfigured so you can kind of get a general understanding of the pre and post proposed configuration. Enhanced crosswalks at a number of the intersections as well for pedestrian improvements. So uh, a few thoughts on the potential impact of this ordinance. One, it eliminates a bikeway corridor that's been included in city plans for almost 20 years now as part of an overall comprehensive network as identified in the current master plan and subsequent plans. It would result in loss of funding spent on design, approximately $85,000. It would potentially negatively impact future awards from VDOT whenever we terminate a project after design. Uh, it reflects negatively on us. Um, we've, we've heard f- uh, from VDOT in the past with respect to that. Um, we compete for funding uh, throughout the whole region. Uh, limited funding is sought by all of the uh, localities throughout the region. So uh, when we proceed with a project and then terminate it, basically uh, it gives them pause to give us future funding. Uh, And it's a missed opportunity for pedestrian bicycle safety improvements on the corridor. Again, we look at this as an opportunity not just to add bike lanes, but to uh, address other safety issues along um, Brook Road. So it's an opportunity to um, implement those as well. Uh, Basically, in summation, we feel that we've been proactive in getting ahead of this, getting the feedback from the public. Uh, A number of things have come up, as, uh, as you've heard. We've uh, tried to address those questions, modify, tweak the plans um, to ensure that those concerns are met through this design process. Um, and again, we feel that we've, we've come up with uh, an approach that balances the needs of all the roadway users that is not going to displace traffic, that is not going to create uh, undue burdens on emergency response, et cetera. So we feel we, feel we have addressed those, those concerns. Standing your presentation, uh, I'd like to move to the public hearing, and then we'll come back for discussion and additional questions. Unless there are questions that you have that you'd like to ask before the public hearing, just one. This is great. I just wanted to make a quick comment and thank you for your presentation. Um, however, um, I've gotten approximately 275 citizen signatures along that corridor, and those folks 
do not feel that their safety and other concerns have been adequately addressed. Um, there isn't any substantive change to the plan or design, and there hasn't been any back and forth communication on what changes should or could be made. So um, just want to say, you know, I understand that this has been in the works for quite a while, but in all of the areas where I have these bike lanes, the people directly on those corridors are not, um, we're not privy to the proposals prior to the adoption of the master plan. So um, I wouldn't say all, but quite a large majority of the people that I'm hearing from had no idea that this was being proposed or planned before it was adopted. So um, I just think I know you've done a lot to try to get the word out with respect to the plan, but um, people who aren't involved in bike planning don't typically go to the bike meetings and becomes a problem down the road. Understood. Um, I would reiterate that the district that sent in the vast majority of those um, signatures on the petition were directly involved in the adopted VU Chamberlain transportation plan, which specifically included a design of this type, um, including the Civic Association and members from the industrial area that participated in that um, entire uh, plan process that was led by PDR, I believe. Um, we have also received a very large number of petitions in support. Um, we have responded to some of the specific inquiries as to things like tractor-trailer access and being, uh, you know, sure to maintain, again, that corner clearance that would allow them to function in the same way that they are now to access their parcels. Um, the safety concerns we feel are addressed through the design. Um, while we've heard general concerns, uh, again, we feel that we have incorporated those, uh, that feedback into the design as, as prepared. Um, okay. And, and ab absent any more detailed uh, recommendations or requests, it's hard to respond with uh, any specific so we changes? Would, we would make sure, just make sure that we stay in place. Uh, we'll move to the public hearing. There may be specific questions or concerns that have not been answered to the citizen's satisfaction or clarity. Understood. And so we will uh, we will try to resolve that um, by you know having an opportunity to do those questions. So. Uh, at this time, uh, Madam Clerk, we'll move to the public hearing. Public comments on this. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, Madam Chair. At this time, do we have those that would like to speak in favor of the paper before the committee? In favor and support of...
Good afternoon to the Honorable Ellen Robertson, Honorable Kimberly Gray, and the Honorable Michael J. Jones. Thank you for your dedicated and sacrificial service to the city of Richmond. My name is Jean T. Williams, and I am a resident of the 3rd District, and I'm also a member of the Edge Hill Chamberlain Court Civic Association. And we have shared with you a couple of exhibits. One, of course, outlines our concerns. A meeting was held at the police academy. I was not there, but I got a report from a digest of the broad concerns that were mentioned. And our brochure, we view this as a safety issue, a public safety issue. It is traumatizing to think of floating lanes. The maneuverability with floating lanes, no, that's not something we will get accustomed to. It's very unsafe. And of course, also the right-of-way. Who has the right-of-way when people are coming from a bike lane and you have people com coming from a floating lane and one is trying to cross over? The other thing is the backup of traffic. If you just visit Franklin Street, it's horrifying. There are people who say they avoid the area because of the safety challenges that you face. We love bikers. At 82 years old, I ride a bike. I love bikers. <laughs> and, tell, and I will tell you this. We want to see the city of Richmond develop a plan which incorporates cyclists, Residents, business owners, everybody who's a stakeholder in the area. We think that's fair game, and we would embrace that. We want cyclists to travel in very safe environments, but most cyclists that I've talked to, they say they like connecting points. They're going from somewhere to somewhere. And also, we find it's horrifying. One of my neighbors said the police stopped her on Brooklyn Park Boulevard because she was in a certain lane. Well, it's confusing. And the presence of cyclists in great numbers, they just are not here in Richmond. I think it's very avant-garde and it's very popular, you know, to be moving in trendy areas and schemes and design. And we have 30 seconds. But the bicyclists just are, are not here. And of course, the 2000 year was referenced in the presentation. I served on the 2015 master plan for the city of Richmond for Chamberlain, Brooklyn, Brook Road, uh, uh, Brookfield Garden. Not a word was in the 2015 plan regarding bike lanes. So the city has dropped this ball. We want the city to pick the ball up, and we all want to be involved in the process. And that's what we would welcome 1,000%. With the onslaught of 625 apartments, we already have 301 and 100. We've got 401 actually here. Thank Why you. would you reduce traffic from one lane, from, from the current lanes to one lane? You don't control speed limits by reducing traffic lanes. Thank you, You enforce speeding laws. Okay, we really want to see cyclists enjoy the community. We want to be a part of it. Thank you. But we want a plan. The editorial from the Richmond Times-Dispatch recaps all of our concerns. Very succinctly, Thank you. September 
the 26th, 2018. Thank you for your dedicated service and your consideration of our public safety concerns. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Williams. All of those that are going to speak in support of this paper, would you get in line so I have a sense of how many other folk are going to speak? I'm Alan Griffin, 2nd District, but my church is in the area concerned of right off of Brook Road. I am a cyclist. I have actually, and a runner. I've gone through, I've run through the very, through the five uh, races from sports backers. I've biked uh, both the uh, Richmond race trails and the various other trails through here. And as far as this presentation by the fine gentleman, no one actually addressed the number of bicycles that are on Brook Road. And I can tell you, because I've been biking this area and running this area almost 80 miles every week, there's just me, specifically on Brook Road. I've been doing it for 10 years, and I haven't seen anybody. The SPCA uh, um, dog walkers cross Brook Road, five of the four uh, uh, running events, cross Brook Road, but they don't go through Brook Road. This plan goes from nowhere to nowhere, and there's nowhere for us to go, even though they say that this is a corridor, this is a, a gateway from one corridor to another corridor. This path doesn't go anywhere, and it doesn't send you to anywhere. It would be different if it went from Azalea Avenue all the way down to VUU, but it doesn't. It cuts short. So where is this going, and why would I want to go on this road when I have Hermitage? Uh, uh, when I have Hermitage Road, when I have uh, 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 the Boulevard, that all have bicycle access and all have safety passes that all have access to sports backers, who's our major biking event for this city, all of those roads go somewhere. All of those roads uh, provide me access and provide me safety and provide me with other runners and other bicycles already on the road, or I can go to what the gentleman said was a road where two-thirds of the people are going over the speed limit. Why would I want to go there? That is uh, one of my main questions. My secondary question is... Sir, you have 30 seconds. Please summarize. Uh, Ed, I mean, do it quick. My second question is, this plan from 2000 all the way till 2014 never addressed a divided or, I forget the word that you call it, uh, plan for uh, floating lanes. No. From 2000 to 2014, we had no floating lanes for anywhere in the city. And then 2014, Franklin Street developed it, and now they want to develop it on Brook Road. I don't think we need it. Thank you. May come forward, ma'am. Good afternoon. Thank you for all you do for us. My name is Elisa Hemingway. I live in the Chamberlain Industrial Center on Brook Road. 
I'm also the secretary of the Chamberlain Industrial Center Association. I'm hoping that you have these photos in front of you because this will follow the photos. These photographs illustrate the problems along Brook Road when it floods and when it snows. The first photograph of the high water sign at Brook and Laburnum was taken during heavy rain on November 15, 2018. The second photo, provided by the Edgehill Chamberlain Court Civic Association, shows standing water in this area the following day. This condition exists at numerous intersections between Laburnum and Charity and causes safety hazards for vehicles in the right lane. Placing signs on sidewalks will not resolve flooding in a potential bike lane. The photo of snow covering Brook Road and the Chamberlain Industrial Center at Brook and Sled was taken on December 10th. Snow covers the road, which has been plowed to allow one accessible lane of traffic northbound and southbound on Brook Road. In this photo, you see a pickup truck driving in the one accessible traffic lane heading north adjacent to a parked tractor trailer without a cab. Across the street heading south, you see one accessible traffic lane and a tractor trailer parked in front of the GFH building. The Chamberlain Industrial Center is a busy commercial community during all weather conditions. The proposed bike lanes in this area would be covered in snow and would not be in use. The snow would be plowed into the floating parking area so the tractor trailers would not have a place to park. Photos taken on December 11th show the aftermath of the snow plow. In these photos, you see cars parked along the curb surrounded by snow, which has been plowed up around them, causing them to dig out to gain access to Brook Road. Two travel lanes of Brook Road were plowed here, allowing cars that were snowed in more leeway to merge into traffic. The proposed bike lanes in this area would be covered in snow and would not be in use. The snow would be plowed into the floating parking area, so the cars would have to dig out and drive directly into a single traffic lane. If the car gets stuck in the snow and extends into the single lane of traffic, it will be on Brook Road. Early this month, on January 6th, photos taken document the gateway of the proposed bike lanes on Brook Road near Charity Street. The photo of the James Apartments is a scenario typical of this area. In this photo, you see blankets and personal belongings of the people who camp out under the bridge above a trash heap surrounded by graffiti. The second photograph shows an abandoned construction site covered in graffiti, and the third photo shows an abundance of unmaintained kudzu vine on the sidewalk adjacent to the police stables and the railroad tracks. Pedestrians would have to walk out into the street or soldier through the overgrowth. Pedestrians would be walking out into the proposed bike lane to avoid this scenario. There are also potholes in the road near the railroad tracks that will flatten tires. Thank you, ma'am. Brook Road is a major traffic artery utilized by a few bikes in comparison to the number of cars, trucks, buses, ambulances, police vehicles, tractor trailers, construction trucks, etc. The tra traffic volumes and the adjacent land uses do not make Brook Road an appropriate candidate for a road diet. Thank we have you. yet to see the traffic impacts of hundreds of apartments under construction at the Westwood Track and hundreds of apartments currently in the planning stages at School, Brook, and Chamberlain. The time is up, ma'am. Thank you for your time.
Thank you. We will now open the floor for those that are in opposition to the paper before committee. Those that would like to speak in opposition, we ask that you would please come forward, state your name. You will be given three minutes to speak. Thank you. Greetings, Madam Chair. Ooh, a little close. And members of the committee, my name is Louise Lockett. I reside at 123 South Mulberry Street, and I'm here on behalf of Sportsbackers Bikewalk RVA. The project to install bike lanes on Brook Road is a key north-south connector of the Richmond Bicycle Master Plan. This project is fully funded, has been designed with the community's input, and continues to have community support. At last September's community meeting about this project, 250 residents showed up in support of bike lanes on Brook Road. This bike lane project is not just about Northside, however. As this project is funded through grant funding, failure to complete it would jeopardize the city's application for future funds to complete needed walking and biking infrastructure projects in other parts of the city. Beyond the financial implications of this ordinance to prohibit bike lanes is the real impact on people's everyday lives. One in five households in Richmond does not own a car, making biking, walking, and accessing transit their main transportation options. The posted speed limit on Brook Road is 35 miles per hour, and we know that only that 65% of drivers are traveling at 40 miles per hour or higher. For context, if a car is traveling at 40 miles per hour and hits a person, there's an 85% chance that that person will die. We can't bank on a 15% survival rate. A road diet project not only provides a protected space where people can bike, but also provides shorter crossing distances and marked crosswalks that benefit pedestrians and wheelchair users, and calms down traffic speeds, reducing the opportunity for life-threatening crashes and making the road safer for all users of all ages and all abilities. We urge you to put people first and reject this ordinance. Thank you. Hello, members of council. Uh, my name is Derek Gregory. I'm a member of the third district and um, I disagree with this ordinance as written per se. I will say that I am pro bike lane, but I think I'm um, for the context of my argument more against this ordinance than anything, and I'll let you know why. Um, I have heard through public meetings that I've been to and through uh, Councilman Hilbert and Councilman, Councilwoman Gray that most of the opposition is coming from the new apartment buildings on the uh, Westwood Tract on Brook Road. Um, uh, the portion of Brook Road from Rennie to Westwood Avenue is about a fifth of a mile. Um, but the distance from Charity to Azalea on Brook Road is three and a half miles. So the ordinance as written now would prohibit any kind of bike lane from one end of Brook Road all the way to the other. Um, I think that's, that's kind of overkill. I think that's kind of throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, this means no bike lanes connecting the existing ones on Brooklyn Parkway that are already there that have been reduced, the existing bike lanes that are on Lombardi Street. Um, this means no 
bike lanes on Brook, on any other neighborhoods that would want to connect to in the future, not just around the Westwood Track, Bellevue, Ginner Park, Laburnum Park, the Virginia Union neighborhood, Gilpin Court, and the Chamberlain Industrial Area. Um, in summation, I'm not against this ordinance, again, strictly for the purpose of supporting the existing Brook Road bike lanes, which I am, but um, passing an ordinance like this would prohibit like any kind of future bike lanes at all. Um, that makes it really hard for members of the city and other people to try and get a bike lane on any part of Brook Road ever again. It's just going to make it much more difficult. And um, that's why I'm here to voice my opposition against this ordinance. Thank you. Um, good afternoon. My name is Sarah Shaughnessy. I'm the Community Health Planner at the Richmond City Health District, where we've been analyzing the public health impacts of the proposed ordinance. Um, and I can provide you with a full report of those results if the committee decides to forward this to full council, but I wanted to provide you just a few um, key findings today. Um, so overall, the health department does not support the ordinance as it perpetuates unsafe and unhealthy conditions in one of the areas of the city that could benefit from street redesign the most. Along this stretch of the Brook Road corridor and in adjacent census tracts, we see higher rates of chronic disease and higher rates of traffic injuries and fatalities relative to other areas of the city. The redesign of the corridor with the bike lane will mitigate these adverse outcomes by facilitating active living and by slowing speeds, which will reduce the risk of crashes, as you've heard, reduce, um, drastically reduce the risk of death and crashes that do occur, and effectively make the road safer for all users. Alternatively, the ordinance before you will reinforce adverse outcomes by perpetuating an unsafe and unhealthy status quo. Finally, consideration should be given to the precedent that this decision sets for fostering equity across the city. Brook Road, with its current design and speed, is just one of the kinds of uh, examples of the kind of urban infrastructure that contributes to and perpetuates clear differences in health outcomes from one Richmond neighborhood to the next. Should any member of this committee or the full council wish to look at the data we've compiled, our staff are um, happily available to provide that to you. Thank you. Good afternoon, Madam Chairwoman and members of the committee. My name is Elaine Summerfield, and I live not on Brook Road, but just off Brook Road. It's a crossroad on my block, and I drive Brook Road pretty much every day. Um, I might drive 40 sometimes, I'm sorry. Uh, but I'm really in opposition to this resolution uh, from a, a multitude of reasons. Uh, I'll highlight one of them for you. I have the pleasure of serving as a volunteer on the advisory board for Richmond's um, Parks, Recreation, and Community Facilities. And my personal belief is that a well-coordinated network of bike lane infrastructure will highlight that wonderful assets that we have in our parks and recreation facilities. Um, it will increase access for young people as well as people who have limited access or no access to a car. And I think that's really important to highlight what our city has to offer. Now, unfortunately, the issue of bike lanes on Brook Road has turned into a divider in our community. It's been a divisive issue, unfortunately. And I know that in the short term, it will be painful. There will be disruptions. Um, it'll take some time to get used to the new traffic patterns, et cetera. But in the long run, I truly believe that bike lanes provide opportunity for connections between neighbors and across neighborhoods. 
provides a way to to get from um, my part of the neighborhood to Brooklyn Park Boulevard, to get downtown, to get down to the river, to get over to Southside. And I truly believe that right now in Richmond, we need more connectors. And a bike lane on Brook Road is literally that kind of connector. Thank you. Good afternoon. Thank you for your service. I'm Dr. Susan Miller. I live in the fan on Grove Avenue, and I do not support this ordinance. I do support the mayor's Vision Zero plan to eliminate bike and pedestrian deaths, and I thank the health department for um, gathering statistics about uh, the dangers uh, to bikers and pedestrians and also the importance of more kinds of mobility to uh, combat chronic disease. I do also support the master bike plan, of which Brook Road is a part, and I thank the previous speaker regarding the impact that uh, this ordinance would have regarding our ability to get funds and to complete future um, bike lanes. Uh, my husband is a professor at MCV, and he bikes to work every day, rain or shine. He is now able to use the protected bike lanes on Franklin Street, uh, which gives me a great deal of relief. Um, I don't know if you realize that we killed two um, professors at VCU in the last five years. One died in Jackson Ward uh, on a bike, and one died on Main Street as a, uh, a runner. There are um, over 30,000 students at VCU and VUU, and as stated before, there are thousands of citizens in the city without cars, and every year we kill a couple of them. The Department of Public Works has done a thorough job and used best evidence in developing the Brook Road Plan. It addresses emergency vehicles, leaf cleaning, bike safety, and traffic flow. Change will be hard for some in the neighborhood, and I understand what they mean about the difficulty of dealing with floating bike lanes. So I would encourage uh, the, the Public Works Department to deal with that issue and help educate um, the users of um, uh, this route. But I think that this change is for the better and that it is worth someone's life. And I request you vote against this ordinance. Thank you. Hello, my name is Jim Adams. I'm in the 7th District, a resident of the City of Richmond, and I urge you to vote down this proposal tonight, today, this afternoon. Many of us remember when uh, folks at Verona and Long Route 5 said there's no need for a bike path to go to Williamsburg. There's no need for a bike path that starts at Shaco Bottom and goes nowhere. And they, they use the same argument that we've heard this afternoon, that there are no bikes on that road. There's no need for it. Um, many years of planning and lots of discussion. Uh, VDOT reports that the first year of the Capital to Capital Bike Trail saw a use of 550,000 users. So I suggest to you that the argument that no one bikes on bike on Brook Road is because the way it's set up now, it's unsafe. Project after project and, and 
study after study have shown that bicyclists will ride when, when they feel it's safe. Many of them will leave their car at home and use a bike to travel to work when they feel it's safe. Someone asked me and said the other day and said, I don't see many bikes on the, on the Franklin Street. And I said, what time do you go down there? And they said, well, two or three in the afternoon. And I said, I go down that road at eight o'clock in the morning and it's loaded with bicyclists who are traveling to work, leaving their cars at home, doing something healthy and traveling to work. So I urge you to think about this in terms of the future of the city, not our past. But the other key reason I ask you to, to consider this is to be respectful of the citizens who have put in many, many, many hours attending community meetings. Uh, those of you in governmental leadership encourage citizens to come to meetings, encourage you to voice your concerns, voice your wishes, voice your hopes. Thousands of people participated in city plans and bicycle plans going back 20 years. Hundreds participated in neighborhood meetings that were held along Brook Road uh, to dismiss them because a few people think this is not the best plan for their street. Um, it's just not to be respectful of our process. We've, we've held public meetings. We've let residents and commuters and cyclists voice um, to throw this plan out after all of this work is disrespectful to those people who spent their time to attend those meetings. Well, there's, there's all the speakers. The public hearing is now closed. Back to the committee. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, we all have open discussion at this time. Um, on this item, Ray, um, I'm sure that you have comments that you'd like or questions that you may have as well. So, just um, briefly, and we're at a—I guess—we're at an impasse because we've been asking for some modifications. We're not saying we don't want a bike lane. Um, I can speak from personal experience on Franklin. I've seen three accidents in the time since that um, floating parking has been put in with involving cyclists, many, many more hit-and-run accidents and other collisions as a result of that design. I, it is a safety concern, and I think it's legitimate. Um, there are multiple more, more driveways and truck bays along Brook Road, which... Um, caught, will cause people to either back into the bike lane or drive through that bike lane um, across it multiple times a day. Um, tractor trailers back up and out in the industrial area. That's what they do for eight hours a day. Um, if a tractor trailer hits a cyclist, there are high probabilities that the cyclist will not um, be well or they'll be seriously injured. So, um, you know, I don't know what else to say other than we have really, I mean, I have video. We've really tried to challenge the design that is being proposed. That is the main holdup here is that having tractor trailers and um, residents who many of them are older have to back in and out or in one lane of traffic during heavy traffic 
They're saying in the evenings they should be backing across the spike lane, across the sidewalk into their driveways so they can pull out in the morning. Um, you know, and, and I hear everybody say they're all about wheelchair and pedestrian safety, but we have sidewalks that have decades that, that these residents can't traverse without risking a fall and really serious injury. So um, I would hope that, that we can have the same energy to try to look at the sidewalk pathways along Brook Road um, that we are with this um, situation. But this design is flawed. I believe it to be flawed. I don't think it's considering any of the future land uses, which will increase the number of cars crossing this bike lane daily, and I think there will see, we'll see an increase in injuries, not a reduction. So I ask that we forward this without a recommendation because I think it should go on the regular agenda. I can, I can withdraw the motion until you're ready. Okay. I'll withdraw. Um, I know this has been before us uh, for a while. Uh, I, I recognize and respect uh, all the work that has been uh, put in by uh, staff and then all of the advocacy from um, members of uh, the community. And there, there is no easy decision. Uh, there, there isn't. Um, with issues and matters like these, you'll have individuals that are for, you're going to have individuals uh, that are against. Um, the question that I ask is, you know, where are we going as it relates to a master plan? Are we going to be a multimodal city uh, or not? And if we're deciding to be a multimodal city, everyone is going to have to make some type of adjustment and it's not easy uh, if you primarily drive and that is your thing it's the toughest thing to do is is to share the road cars have difficult time sharing the road with other cars uh, let alone people who uh, ride bicycles and one of the toughest things I had to learn in college at the University of Colorado uh, was to respect bicyclists it was uh, one of the difficult things most difficult things um, to try to maneuver, uh, but uh, in seeing individuals injured and things of that nature, it changed my uh, opinion about uh, sharing that space, and I, I gained a better appreciation. I live a very active lifestyle. Um, uh, let me let me tell the citizens of the second and third. Um, you guys are arguing about a bike lane. We're just trying to get sidewalks on the ninth district. Uh, we just want to be able to walk our district, because right now I can't walk down Hall Street. It's not safe to. Uh, we don't have sidewalks on a major thoroughfare within our city. And I think that's something that uh, DPW, everyone ought to address as quickly as possible. And I'll just say that simply because I know I'm on land use. I know uh, this issue is uh, a matter that's before the second and third district. But again, in the ninth district, we can't even walk to the store uh, safely. And so please keep that in mind. As, as everyone is concerned about, uh, you know, bike lane, understand that there are large numbers of people in this city that cannot walk to a grocery store, uh, where we have individuals uh, that are struck as pedestrians just trying to get to and from school. 
um, when we had a walk along, ride along, a visit with uh, the mayor, I intentionally put us on Hall Street. Uh, and the one thing his, his folks said, chief of staff came to me and said, well, Councilman Jones, it's not safe for us to walk this street. Um, and we're going to have to interrupt traffic flow in one lane. I said, well, do what you have to do because people who live in this city, who live in my district, are unable to do this. And so they're not the mayor that's able to have the chief of police direct all of traffic into one lane. They don't have the power or the resources to do that. Um, and I just say all that to say, if we're going to be multimodal as a city with a total plan, um, we have to come together as citizens to make that happen. And it's going to be the individuals uh, that drive and aren't necessarily for or against one thing. I know people are against the design. It's a different design. Um, and it, it just is. Franklin is Franklin. Brook is going to be Brook. Um, but again, if we're trying to be multimodal, how do we go about doing it? Uh, I look forward to the day that from Warwick and Hall Street, where I live, that I can safely ride a bicycle from where I live to City Hall. And I can't do that right now. It just is not safe for me to do it. And so for individuals that live in different parts of the city that want to do that, I believe it's their, you know, I believe they should have the opportunity to do that. And so I think what we're arguing here is how do we get that done? How do we get that done? Um, and so I hope the greater conversation does that because, again, there's going to be a lot that are for it and several that and a lot that are against it. As we've heard, work has been done. Uh, the master plan is there. Um, and so, again, I am for a multimodal city. I just am. I am for individuals being able to walk safely, bike safely, drive safely to wherever it is they choose to go. Um, and that is not going to be an easy compromise if we are used to cars owning the roads. Okay, thank you, Mr. Jones. Um, I would like um, a couple questions. I would like for the administration to clarify based on some of the comments and concerns that I've heard from the citizens. Uh, so if you guys have come forward, please one of the things as it relates to floating zones, and we make reference to Franklin, can you help clarify if there is a difference in what we have on Franklin Street versus what is proposed in the design for Brook Road? Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jacob Hobolt, Department of Public Works. Um, that's an important, significant distinction. The two have very few similar design elements. Um, the parking on Brook Road would be 24-7, unlike on Franklin where it's basically a peak hour lane and then parking. So that leads to some confusion as to how... So that, is Brook Road a floating lane? It's, it's flo the, to, and to define floating, basically it's off of the curb, but it's permanent 24-7. Um, there's no peak hour restriction um, so, again, unlike on Franklin, the floating parking, the parking lane that is off of the curb, also serves as a morning peak hour travel lane. So, on Brook Road, it can be, the, it, the parking lane can be striped as a parking lane with end cap treatments, so it's unambiguous as to its 
function and its uh, you know its its purpose. Um, so it is it is not at all ambiguous. It's much clear to the traveler. Um, additionally, since you don't have the same kind of frequent turnover that you do in a commercial uh, downtown okay. district, all right, it's um, different as well. One of the other questions that was raised as it relates to Richmond doesn't have that many bikers. Um, one of the speakers stated the number of bikers that we have um, going down Route 5, I guess, when we, when we didn't have any bike lanes and so forth. Um, can you speak to why you feel there's a demand for more bike lanes in the city of Richmond? Sure. Um, one thing that you'll see, and it's ubiquitous city after city, is, and it sounds cliche, is build it and they will come. People aren't going to bike in an environment that is not at all welcoming, that is you know, rather uninviting uh, when you're on a bike. Um, so when you start building out more robust infrastructure, people start utilizing it. Um, Brook Road serves as kind of a north-south connector from the county um, into downtown. Uh, it's one of many corridors that we're looking at building out. And so, again, you know, we, we, have, to, we have to eat this elephant one bite at a time, as they say. Um, you know, it'd be great if we could flip a switch and overnight we have a network that's all there. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that has to be kind of iterative and built upon. As far as the number of people that bike... A lot of people are surprised when they find out that the census data shows that we have the second highest bike commuting rate of any city in the Commonwealth. The only city higher or the only locality is Arlington County, which is the densest locality in all of Virginia. Um, And they've been at this for well over a decade. Um, So they're way ahead of us, but they have only a very small margin in terms of the number of people that commute by bike over Richmond. Um, so, and we also, as, as others have spoken to, we have a very large low popul- or, or low income population. That's no secret to anyone. There are a lot of people that are dependent upon transit that don't have access to a vehicle. And we see lots of people biking. People say no one bikes, but then you see a guy out there with bags on his handlebars riding his bike. It's obvious that that's how he gets around on a day-to-day basis. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different factors that come into play in terms of trying to build out a network and address safety and take a balanced approach to make sure that we're... Uh, so let me ask you another question. Mm-hmm. Um, we, um, there have been s- several that have, we've talked about speed. Some of us has talked about speed as to why would we want a bike lane on an avenue that we can't control the speed at the present time uh, and that we aren't doing well at controlling the speed. So uh, others have spoken to the fact that by having a bike lane in and of itself, it will encourage people to be more in compliance with the speed. Um, Why haven't Why can't we do something to control speed on Brook Road? So typically you can can address 
behavioral issues. Speed is a behavior, motor is behavior issue through engineering, education, enforcement. Those are your typical three E's that you do. Um, RPD has limited capacity to do enforcement on a routine basis, so there's a component there. Um, and I don't want to speak for RPD as far as what they can and can't do. With engineering, if you change what's called the design speed, you change the design of the, of the road, the number of lanes, the widths of the lanes, the radii at the intersections, a number of different things that induce people to either drive faster or slower, depending on that road. With Brook Road, again, during off-peak, there's tons of excess capacity. When you have a wide road with multiple lanes, um, it is a known inducement to higher speeds. Basically, you drive along and you drive at the speed at which you feel comfortable driving. And the last question that I have, if there were several that spoke to the fact that this is a bike lane from nowhere going nowhere. Is there a connector? Does this lane take you anywhere? So this is a three-and-a-half-mile corridor. It does extend all the way basically from just south of Azalea Avenue where it transitions from the, uh, that section where it enters and exits the county um, all the way down to the railroad tracks um, as it approaches uh, Chamberlain Avenue. So it's three-and-a-half miles of continuous bike lane. Um, from That's north. not the question that they're asking, though. They're asking... Is there a connector on the end of the lane that will be always proposed to be in soil on Brook Road? Do we have bike lanes on um, the far north and bike lanes on the south end that would take you to? So currently there aren't north or bike lanes to the north. Henrico County is working on what's called the Ashland Trolley Line, which historically was part of Brook Road, um, where that makes the connection with the, the city-county line is being fleshed out. It's in the very early stages. The proposed connection or corridor within the city would be Brook Road, um, that being the historical trolley line corridor. Um, again, that's not determined. It's set in stone, but it's being discussed. At the south, it terminates again at the at the railroad tracks. Um, once you start getting into downtown, traffic conditions change. The width of Brook Road changes. Uh, once it tees into or angles into Chamberlain, so it's we took it as far as we could under this this phase, if you will. The idea would be to look at future means to cl continue closing gaps. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Um, if we could bring it back to the committee at this time, I think the question as far as the committee is concerned is to uh, entertain a motion to either vote in support of or in opposition or as been proposed by Ms. Gray that we um, – move this paper forward to council with no recommendation. Uh, if that is still your motion, Ms. Gray. Yes, ma'am. Make one Second. additional comment Yes. Um, in response to your question about the speed. Um, we as council unanimously voted to put in some speed controls along Westwood Avenue um, and some additional um, mitigating um, 
things on those side streets along that corridor. We have um, a growing um, population that goes in and out of Veritas at peak hours. Um, we have developments coming on the Himrico side of the line. We have additional developments being proposed along Brook Road. And we've asked for a comprehensive study because we are piecemealing on Loxley. We've got tractor trailers cutting through these residential neighborhoods. Safety continues to be a concern. And I think safety is the key word here, and we want safe bike lanes. Um, so my, my recommendation would be... Um, because I know that there are people who wish to speak to this and not put it on the consent. My recommendation and request would be that we move this forward with no recommendation and put it on the regular agenda. Is there a second? Nobody else up here needs to be honest with you. <laughs> but I know about the two of us, huh? Is there another? Um, and, and, and I'm fine with moving it forward to um, to allow for more community input. Um, because, again, it, whether we vote to move it forward with or without, or, or it, the council still has to deal with this paper, period. And so uh, I don't want to uh, belabor uh, our time here, and so I'll second it. Um, yeah. The committee is now voting on the motion. I, I don't know which is appropriate, Madam Clerk, that I comment on the motion before we vote or after. Before? Before. Probably Madam, be up. Before, Good. Madam Chair. All right. It's been a long day for me. Um, the, the concern that I have is that if we don't come to a means of resolve one way or the other, when we bring it back into the public arena to ultimately have to make the decision, which, which is always what we have to do. Um, the probability in that is that we leave a community uh, split between those who support and those who don't support it. Okay? Um, it is important that, I mean, council can and will make, can make and will make the final decision. Uh, but when we don't resolve these challenges within the community in a way that people understand that certain things that may be of great significance has been addressed, and I've heard Ms. Gray say that we're not in opposition to a bike lane. We are just, we feel that the design is not, uh, addressing the issues of safety and other issues that the community is concerned about, which are legitimate concerns. It would be more favorable when papers come before the committee that we have come to a place that at least we articulate exactly what those design changes that we want to see happen. Uh, when those design changes have not been uh, articulated, it's difficult for us to know how to say we will support this with these conditions. And so we have a short window of opportunity to have that discussion with the administration, uh, with the community as it relates to those specific designs that you're looking for differently if this bike lane has to be put in. 
One of the other things that I think that is going to be important that council is going to have to deal with when this paper comes before us. This uh, plan for this bike lane has been adopted into the master plan. The planning commission is the body that approves amendments to the master plan. And the planning commission is likely going to feel that they have to come back to do an amendment to the master plan if we move forward with this if we, if we make this change of not putting the bike lane in place. Um, it is important that we be sensitive to the fact that the city has spent $80,000, $85,000. Is that reason enough to go forward with something that the community is in opposition to? No, it is not. But it is important that we understand the potential impact and more likely the real impact when we spend money that we have authorized the staff to do the design work. We authorized the approval of the amendment to this to the master plan. City Council did that. Um, surely there were meetings, many meetings had prior to us getting to that place. And I understand uh, sometimes we get the most impact when we know things are ready to move forward. Um, but we have adopted this as a part of our master plan. We have spent $80,000 of the taxpayers' money for design work that we authorized the administration to move forward in getting done. Um, that money would be reimbursed to the city and the cost of doing this work 100%. No cost to the citizen if we move forward. If we don't move forward, we will not be reimbursed for the monies that we have already spent. And it does have an impact at the state level when they've gone through this process with us and then we change our mind. So if there can be uh, amendments to this plan that support the real concerns that the community has or at least a more favorable discussion as it relates to that, you know, I would encourage the community to do that. So, Madam Clerk, with that, call the question. The committee has voted on a motion to forward item three, ordinance 2018-194, to council with no recommendation. Mr. Jones? Aye. Vice Chair Gray? Aye, and I just would like to have one additional comment, and that is if we put in facilities that are already planned and approved and they continue to cause more problems than less, then we need to reconsider. Uh, that's all I'm asking for. If amendments, we should know what those amendments are. I think. Chair Robertson? Aye. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. I know you guys must think, you said 30 minutes and we're going to be out of here by 5, and here it is, 10 minutes after 5. Let's go to the next presentation. I mean, the next paper, Madam Clerk. Yes, ma'am. The next item, item 4, Ordinance 2018-228, to rename the boulevard from its northern terminus at its intersection with Brooklyn, Park, Brooklyn Parkway and Westwood Avenue to its southerly terminus at Bird Park as Arthur Ashe Boulevard. The papers before committee. Want me to say something? 
Yes, that's right. Miss Gray. Okay. Um, the this has come before council. I guess you were on council at some point when this came. Don't, be, don't be telling my age. Okay. Um, this is um, an ordinance to honor one of Richmond's favorite sons, Arthur Ashe. I think he's worthy of this designation and street naming. Um, a couple of questions that came up um, with respect to um, the ordinance that was passed almost immediately after the last time this was attempted um, to be done. Uh, there was an ordinance passed that talked about exceptional reasons. And I think that is a rather subjective term, but I do think that this is an exceptional reason, and um, Author Ash is worthy of this uh, street name designation. Um, there's also some question around the number of facilities that can be named um, by city ordinance after any one individual. Um, we do have a facility on the boulevard, but that actually was named by the school board, not city council. And we have a statue, which is a, a um, rendition of Arthur Ashe and um, action, but it is not a facility named for Arthur Ashe. It is a statue of Arthur Ashe. So as, as I see it, um, and I was also um, in conversation with um, some citizens um, about a school that's named after Arthur Ashe, which is not a city school. It is a Henrico County school. So to my knowledge, there are no specific facilities within the city limits that city council has named after Arthur Ashe. They have designated a statue, yes, but facilities, no. But there is a facility named. Named by the school. There is a facility, the Arthur Ashe Center. It is a school property, and it was named by Richmond Public School Board, not the Richmond City Council. Madam Clark? At this time, we will now open the floor. We will have a public hearing on this item. Do we have those that would like to speak in support of the paper before the committee? If so, we ask that you will come forward and you will line up. Madam Chairwoman and the committee members, I thank you for all the work you do to make Richmond a great place to live. Your name? Live and work. My name is Shima Grover, and I play tennis. And I represent the sentiment of many in the tennis community when I speak in support of renaming the boulevard as Arthur Ashe Boulevard. In 2010, Richmond was named one of best tennis towns by United States Tennis Association. Richmond has a thriving and vigorous tennis community. We try to attract more people to come to Richmond to play tennis and renaming the Boulevard a gateway to the city will be a, a very 
attractive move for the city. Tennis is the only one of traditional sports that is growing, and Tennis Channel is the, has the biggest growth rate, indicating there is a continuing interest in tennis. And this community here, tennis community, is very active, and there's even a plan to build a large indoor-outdoor tennis facility. What better welcome to greet outside visitors, tourists to the city, with a street named Arthur Ashe Boulevard. I know that many people know Arthur Ashe as a great tennis player, and he was. And he has a lot of connections to the boulevard. On one end of the boulevard, we have Bird Park tennis courts. In 1968, Arthur Ashe played on a Davis Cup team representing the country, and the site of the competition was Bird Park Tennis Courts. In 1968, he also became the first African-American man to win U.S. Open. But he was not, his achievements were not limited by the lines of tennis courts. Ma'am, you have 30 seconds. Okay. Here I have a letter written by Martin Luther King, whose birthday was nationally celebrated yesterday. And he thanked Arthur Ashe for his uh, support of uh, fight for justice, freedom, and dignity for all people in this country. And he had hoped that he could meet Arthur Ashe someday, which sadly did not happen. But since Arthur Ashe was recognized globally as a great athlete and a humanitarian, I'm in support of renaming. Greetings again, Madam Chair and members of the committee. My name is Louise Lockett. I reside at 123 South Mulberry Street, which is uh, one block east of Boulevard. And I'm here on behalf of the National Panhellenic Council Metro Richmond Chapter. The National Panhellenic Council was established in 1930 and is the umbrella organization to the nine historically black Greek letter of fraternities and sororities. Collectively, our illustrious organizations share over a 100-year history of promoting scholarship, community service, and honoring the contributions of African Americans in the United States. In December, NPHC Metro Richmond, comprised of 17 local fraternity and sorority chapters and numbering over 500 individual members, submitted a letter to the then members of this committee in support of renaming the boulevard to Arthur Ashe Boulevard. Arthur Ashe was a tennis trailblazer, activist, philanthropist, member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, and son of Richmond. Only one city can truly claim him. He de demonstrated a commitment to excellence and justice, his life a legacy we as a city can be proud of. We urge you to uplift this city by uplifting Arthur Ashe and supporting this ordinance. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Melissa Farrell. I'm a 45-year resident of the city, and I've lived 12 years in Tuscan Villa on the boulevard. I am so proud when I think that I might change my address to Arthur Ashe Boulevard. 
I'm, I know that some of the argument against it is people don't want to change their personal and business addresses. They don't want to change the street signs. But Arthur Ashe, as our first speaker so eloquently said, is not just our native son. He is a son of the world. He's known worldwide. And I believe that not only does renaming the boulevard to Arthur Ashe Boulevard speak volumes to the world about our city, but it speaks volumes to our citizens. I'm speaking on my behalf and that of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Richmond, which is located on Blanton Avenue near the Carillon. Thank you. Good evening, members of council. Thank you for your time. Uh, my name is Lee Stewart. I'm the vice president of the Scotts Edition Boulevard Association, or SAPA for short. Uh, I'm here on, on their behalf, our behalf. Uh, we are in full support of renaming the boulevard to the Arthur Ashe Boulevard. Um, a city should take every opportunity to honor someone of their own that has made a positive impact on their community and their world, uh, especially when it relates to someone who uh, is from that community. Um, so with that, uh, again, I want to state on behalf of Saba that we are in full support of renaming the, the boulevard. Thank you. Good afternoon, Madam Chair, Councilman Jones, and Councilwoman Gray. Thank you for bringing this forward. My name is Keenan Caldwell, and this is Derek Thomas. And on behalf of the members of the Richmond Alumni Chapter, over 100 members of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity, we fully support this measure before you. If you epitomize something, it is said that you are a perfect example of something. This can be said of our fraternity brother. Achievement in every field of human endeavor. Achievement in every field of human endeavor. This is our fraternity purpose. This is our motto. And this is what our fraternity brother, Arthur Ashe, epitomized. Allow me to share just a couple of comments about the influence on Brother Ashe from our fraternity. As a young man, he moved to St. Louis where he was mentored by Brother Richard Hudlin and financially supported by Brother Frank Summers, our 14th Grand Polemark, which in our fraternity is our national president. Under Hudlin's tutelage, Brother Ash won the junior national titles in 1960 and 1961. This influence on his young life the influence on this young life led Brother Ash to pursue a membership in our fraternity, and when he was initiated at UCLA University, the Upsilon chapter in 1963, for his outstanding contributions towards the elimination of worldwide racial injustice and his lifetime achievements in every field of human endeavor, Brother Ash was awarded the 67th Laurel Wreath Award, the highest award conferred upon by our fraternity. Again, the Laurel Reef Award is the highest award presented to a member of Cap Alpha Psi. It is bestowed upon members who demonstrate extra meritorious achievements that are at least national or international in scope and effect. 
Recipients are selected based on petitions submitted to the Laurel Reef Commission, a 13-member national committee whose members are appointed by the Grand Polmark. No more than four awards can be granted during any grand chapter session. Sure, you have 30 seconds. Our chapter wholeheartedly supports recognizing and celebrating Brother Ash's legacy in the city of Richmond by renaming the historic boulevard in his honor. I would ask if there are any members of Cap Alpha Psi to please stand. Thank you. Good evening, Madam, Madam Chair and members of the committee. My name is Vanessa Johnson. I'm the Social Action Chair of the National Panhandling Council of Metro Richmond. I reside in the 7th District, 1118 North 22nd Street. I am in support of this ordinance. As a child growing up in the Bronx of New York City, Arthur Ashe was a household name. His dedication to education and sports resonates internationally. As a student and now as a proud alum of Virginia Union University, I learned Mr. Ashe was a native of Richmond, Virginia, my home away from home. And as a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, in which my brother, biological brother, is also a member. Mr. Ashe initiated his journey to break through barriers from his hometown and beyond. It is without reservation the boulevard is to be named the Arthur Ashe Boulevard, paying homage to a global servant and hero. Thank you. Good evening, Madam Robinson, Councilman Jones, and Councilman Gray. My name is Bill Galosh. I am president of MAPS. MAPS Sports has totally endorsed this. Um, we've got a lot of history here, and we've got a lot of things showing all the history, but we don't. We left out some of the people, so we feel like it's time to embrace the whole city. Let's go forward and show that we have other good citizens. Thank you. My name is Jonathan Marcus. I'm here to represent the West Gray Street Association. We have voted unanimously on several occasions to support the name change from the boulevard to Arthur Ashe Boulevard. Some of our considerations include what I would share with you in a bit of levity, which is that when out-of-town guests come to visit and they see the names of our prominent streets and they get to the boulevard, they often ask, well, what's the name? And we have to say the boulevard. And they say the boulevard, is that's, that's like naming it the street. So with all due respect to our neighbors on the boulevard, we, we share in the ownership of these city streets and these city names. They don't belong to simply whomever lives there. The street names are significant to all of us stakeholders in the city. And just as Louisville, Kentucky has Muhammad Ali Boulevard and Atlanta and many other cities around the country have Martin Luther King Boulevard, we similarly feel that it would be a great improvement to change the rather anonymous name of the boulevard 
to the name of one of our favorite sons, Arthur Ashe Boulevard. So we support it unanimously and enthusiastically. And one other consideration is that when I attended the meeting that Kim Gray held at the VMFA last year, um, I certainly feel that reasonable people can disagree, but a great deal of the disagreement or resistance to the name change seems to be the inconvenience of printing business cards or stationery. This seems a small inconvenience compared to the injustices endured by generations of people represented by Arthur Ashe. Thank you. At this time, we will now open the floor for those in opposition. We ask that you will please come forward, line up. My name is Grace Silverstein, and I'm asking that you do not uh, go forward with this for a couple of reasons. Um, it's been publicized and initiated um, to begin with as a sign of unity. This has nothing to do with unity. Changing the name of the street does not increase any unity between blacks or whites or parts of the city with others. That is only accomplished through education in our days, in work, uh, whether we're working in plan, if we say no to inappropriate language. Those are things that create unity in race. There are many opportunities to name something if somebody wants to do something for Arthur Ashe. We have the new Coliseum that's going to be built, that whole area down there. The Greater Richmond area itself has many neighborhoods and streets that are new. They could be named after him. We don't have to change the boulevard, which has been in existence and is really a part of our history, just named the boulevard. I um, also um, want to mention the cost to the city of changing street signs. Some may say it's a small amount, but all of these things add up, and I don't think the city of Richmond has any extra funds lying around to be used for something like that. And I really think it needs to be the citizens and the, excuse me, the residents and property owners on the boulevard that make that final decision. Thank you. Ms. Robertson, Ms. Gray, Dr. Jones. My name is Betty Booker. Uh, I'm a Boulevard homeowner for 45 years and one of the early rescuers of our 140-year-old street, which gives our historic neighborhood its name. This is the third or fourth time since 1993 City Council has surprised the boulevard with renaming legislation without including the historic district's homeowners and businesses in planning discussions. No matter how deeply elected officials feel in their hearts that renaming someone else's street, neighborhood, or historic district is justified, no matter how much they dislike the 2004 city code aimed at preventing such, such action, and even though council can change ordinances that it creates, the question is, should you? 
We appreciate Councilwoman Gray meeting with us in mid-November and yesterday and enabling a 90-day vote extension over the holiday. And Dr. Jones's attentive listening to us before this meeting. Renaming Boulevard sets a precedent for current and future elected officials to change any city neighborhood, street, and historic district, even if people affected oppose such action. Collective, inclusive decision-making leads to better decisions. Boulevard was a country wagon track two centuries ago. By 1890, it was transformed as Boulevard, a nationally admired parkway in the City Beautiful movement. Boulevard residents and businesses rescued it from the late 20th century decline. Today, our presence on on the Boulevard and our time, talent, money, and civic involvement demonstrate that we are committed to healing Virginia's capital city. In that spirit, the Boulevard Coalition asks that Council preserve our historic legal street name, Boulevard, and mount permanent, sturdy, handsome, honorary Arthur Ashe Boulevard signs on every Boulevard street sign lamppost along its three-mile length. We too want people. Ma'am, you have 30 seconds. We too uh, want children, especially, to look at these attention granting, uh, grabbing signs and say, Who is Arthur Ashe? and be told he was a man of unshakable moral character. We request your support for this win win solution of Honorary Arthur Ashe Boulevard the designation that lifts ash to public awareness in perpetuity and also represents respectful Boulevard voters. Thank you. Good evening. Um, My name is Brian Spencer. I bought my house on Boulevard almost 13 years ago. Um, I brought some flyers for council of what I'm going to discuss. Um, I'm a member of the Boulevard Coalition, and we are a group of business owners and residents that want to honor Arthur Ashe and our historic neighborhood. Um, I found out about the proposed name change from a neighbor uh, right before the meeting at the VMFA. Uh, In talking with neighbors, I was opposed to it, as were they. We felt like there should be a democratic process to figure out, is it just us few people who are against, or is this just to get what the numbers are. So we came up with a proposal to name, to do honorary signs, Arthur Ashe Honorary Boulevard, below our street signs. Um, and then we sent out a letter to all, letters which include, with postcards enclosed to all 325 properties along this, up and down the boulevard. Uh, 8% were for a name change, 92% are opposed and we had a response rate of 49.5%. Well, then we asked, do you support honoring Mr. Ash through an honorary designation? And we got over two-thirds who support Mr. honoring Mr. Ash with uh, less than a third opposing this. Um, also, I'm a small business owner, and I put the, the cost of changing the name. It's more than just stationary. It, it would cost me $2,500 to $3,000 for various printing, time having my bookkeeper um, change addresses and other such things. Um, 
We want to keep Boulevard and honor Arthur Ashe through this honorary designation. Thank you. Good evening. Thank you for your attention. My name is Sue Pateau. I'm also a member of the Boulevard Coalition, and I also live on the Boulevard. Like my colleagues and the people that will speak after me, we want to honor Arthur Ashe while protecting our historic neighborhood. Um, We're proposing a win-win situation. You saw the sign that we proposed. That's what we're proposing to hang on every lamppost, every sign pole on Boulevard. Um, This is not about race. Let's be honest. Um, I'm a white resident, and the proposed name change is for an iconic African-American pioneer who I admire very much. But this does not discount my perspective and my desire to preserve our neighborhood. I want to share a personal story with you. I'm a volunteer co-chair of the Arthur Ashe Books for Kids program at the Children's Hospital Clinic right next door. This is a program that Mrs. Ashe started 20 years ago in honor of her husband. We all know the statue on Monument Avenue, a tennis racket in one hand and a book in the other. Truly, one of his passions was to make sure that every child could read and literacy was a passion for everyone. This is a program that provides every child that comes to the clinic with a brand new book that is age appropriate and reading level appropriate. This is a book for them to take home, to enjoy, and most of all, to appreciate and hopefully become lifelong readers. Unfortunately, for many of the children, this is the first book they've ever owned. Last year, we gave away 12,000 books. And we also have established a partnership now with the Public City Library to give these children library cards so they can continue Mr. Ash's legacy of becoming lifelong readers. To me, in what I've learned about Mr. Ash, this is his legacy. These are the things that he, was, he wanted, very much like with Mr. Harris's, his nephew's programs and teaching children about how to play tennis and working with tennis courts and tennis clubs within the city to ensure that children have these opportunities. This is what his legacy is, not a third monument and certainly not creating community division. As a Richmond resident who lives, works, and proudly lives on Boulevard, I really want to promote the win-win solution. Let's honor Mr. Ash, and let's also retain the history of Boulevard. Thank you. Good evening. I'm Raleigh Peratt. My home is at 18 North Boulevard, and I've lived on the Boulevard for the past 18 years. I'd like to comment on the process of renaming city property. The City Code of Richmond, Sections 8-7 and 8-10, clearly and very specifically lays out the process for renaming. The goal of the process is, and I quote, provide a systematic and consistent approach to considering, approving, and implementing the naming or renaming of city building streets, and so on. The key words there for me are systematic and consistent. The code lays out the process to engage those most affected by a change. Proponents of a name change shall file with their request a petition of the affected property owners. The petition must bear the signatures of the owners of at least 51% of the lots, tracts, or parcels of property which abut the street to be renamed. That process, in my mind, is systematic, consistent, and fair and that it gives those most affected by a change the strongest voice in the matter. It's a solid and smart way to approach a renaming project. However, that process has simply not happened. 
The code also spells out that the chief administrative officer shall prepare and submit to the city council a report that evaluates whether or not the proposal is consistent with the policies and criteria of the code. Things like, were the residents petitioned? Was 51% approval achieved? Do other city facilities already bear the same name? How much is it going to cost? Etc. To my knowledge, that also has not happened. So we must pose this question. Why does the proposed ordinance specifically state that council should disregard sections 8-7 through 8-10 of the existing approved thoughtful process of renaming city property? That doesn't feel like how things should be done in Richmond. We shouldn't disregard the law for reasons of convenience, speed, or passion. Doing so greatly generates animosity and erodes trust. The motto of Richmond City Council, as prominently displayed on your website, is, quote, the voice of the people. I like that. The proposed ordinance, in effect, is saying, don't take the step of formally petitioning the voice of the people. I feel like that's an unnecessary contradiction. Why are we disregarding the process? Said simply, what's the rush? I asked that the committee vote down this proposal ordinance as it states. So you have 30 seconds. Because it openly circumvents the process for renaming city property for reasons that have not been explained. As an alternative, we have proposed a meet-the-middle solution where we preserve the historic boulevard and honor Arthur Ashe through a permanent honorary sign designation. That feels like a win-win solution to me. Thank you. Um, I'm Christopher Small, and I live at 500 North Boulevard and I have for the last 26 years. I, too, am a member of the Boulevard Coalition, and we are a group of residents, business owners that want to honor Arthur Ashe while protecting our historic neighborhood. Our neighborhood and street has an already well-recognized name, and our name is, important, is an important piece of our history. The history is important to me and many others, and this perspective should be valued and not tossed aside lightly. Section 8, Item 9 of City Code recognizes streets, names, plats, specific sites and places, and natural features indicated on general usage maps for 50 years or more should not be changed under exceptional Sir, would you circumstances. Would mind pulling your mic up a little bit? We're having difficulty hearing you. Okay. Thank um, you. Our street is a City of Richmond Historic District. Residents and owners are subject to additional rules and regulations of historic districts in Richmond. Boulevard is also on the National Register of Historic Districts and the Virginia Landmarks Register. These designations do not just happen. These designations are bestowed to protect and preserve valuable history and recognize areas of significant value, not just architecturally, but as a district as a whole. Our history includes our district name. The history of our neighborhood, including our name, has value and should be considered as a whole and not lumped into a change because it is merely inconvenient at the moment for one agenda item. I purchased a home on the boulevard because I like the street and its distinct name and its personality. I chose to live here over rather here over many other neighborhoods, including Monument Avenue, because it was the boulevard. I like the uniqueness of the name and the personality of the street. The name of the street was part of my buying decision. I'm a real estate agent in the city of Richmond, and I know how important addresses can be to people when buying their home. Over the years, I have encouraged many other people to purchase and revitalize homes on the boulevard. In 1998, I was recognized by the City Council of Richmond, Resolution 98-R177-176, for my work to improve the street. I have continued to be committed to improving the street and am currently in the process of buying an apartment property in the street that I will be improving in the near future. 
what the, our coalition and what I want as a property owner is for the process to be respected, and I want to keep the boulevard and still honor Arthur Ashe through an honorary designation with a win-win situation for both sides. Good afternoon. My name is Bill Payne, and I live at 11 North Boulevard. <clears throat> I've been on the boulevard since 1996. I remember when I first bought my house, the neighborhood was not what it is today. Residents like myself have renovated our houses and built businesses because we value the history of our neighborhood. Our work, families, and lives have ties to the boulevard. We cherish what it has begun, become, and we want to continue protecting this history. We believe our neighborhood's historic designation should matter to each of you voting on this matter. The voices and opinions of the residents affected by a name change should matter. So what do we want? We want to keep the boulevard and honor Arthur Ashe through an honorary designation. Please consider this. Thank you. Um, good afternoon or good evening at this point, right? Uh, my name is Adam Zielinski. My name is Adam Zielinski. I live at 11 North Boulevard with my partner. Um, I've lived on the boulevard since about 2010. Um, moved to Virginia from Hampton Roads. Fell in love with the city of Richmond. It's just been amazing. Um, like the character, I love the community. Um, but to get to the point, I guess this whole thing that's going on is kind of making me feel a little hurt. Um, I want to respect... Arthur Ashe, um, I think that we should give him honor, um, but at the same time, I feel that we've been given no voice. Um, we were told very much like last minute notice by a neighbor that, hey, there's something at the BMFA, and then within like three, four days, we actually saw it, and then it just seemed like a full-gone plan, um, and it just felt like everything was already against us. There was already a whole funding, the, there was a t-shirts in the mix and everything. We were just like... Why weren't we considered? Um, Saba was informed before us. Um, West Gray Street was informed before us. Maps before us. What about the boulevard? We used to actually be a part of, or my partner and the other people of the boulevard, um, they were part of the, the Boulevard Association. But that very quickly um, became a part of um, another, I, I'm sorry, I'm like blanking, the Museum District Association. So our voice has kind of been given to the museum district and it left us almost like a lost identity. We're still there. We're still a very unique community. Um, we love where we live. We're very happy with that. Um, but getting back to the point, sorry. Um, I'd like to say that we're more than happy to welcome Arthur R. Ashe to the boulevard. We just want to be able to preserve our identity and our history too. Um, we like the historic designation of the boulevard. Um, it's the Boulevard of Richmond. Um, it's kind of it has its own panache. It's nice. I know some people have said that it is more of a stationary thing. To me, it's not. There's a lot that goes into that. My parents just died this year. There's a lot of estate stuff. Sure, you can do something at the um, post office, but even that, many things get lost. It just, to me, seems very inconvenient and more work when I already work full-time and all this other stuff. And then just to have this added when I'm very happy. So you have 30 seconds. Thanks. Thank you. Um, I guess to get to the point, Arthur Ashe said, I can never forgive myself if I elected 
to live without humane purpose, without trying to help the poor and the unfortunate, without recognizing that the purest joy in life comes with trying to help others. We would love that, but we also want to help too and come to a 50-50 solution where we give honorary signage to all of our streets in perpetuity so that we can also accomplish Arthur Ashe's dreams. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Sean Brooks. Uh, I'm a member of the Boulevard Coalition as well. My wife and I have lived on Boulevard since 2005. We also operate a business uh, with a Boulevard address. Uh, we're a group of uh, residents and business owners that want to honor Arthur Ashe while preserve, protecting our historic neighborhood. Some have suggested that race be the rationale for renaming Boulevard, whether you're in support or opposition. We wholeheartedly reject that idea and we instead propose that we come together as a community and not create division on a street where there was none. I, like a lot of my neighbors, learned of this uh, ordinance proposal by, from a blog uh, a couple days before the, the meeting. Uh, and with that, uh, in order to foster a, the idea of a community and government coming together, we believe elected city council officials should represent the people they serve and transparently solicit feedback from all those citizens. We believe council representatives should inform and work with citizens before they impose ideas, not just on Boulevard, but on all, in all city districts. <clears throat> we think city council's process should represent each community, represent, respect its history, and model processes for future proposals to honor famous citizens. For Boulevard, we think permanent honorary Arthur Ashe Boulevard signage along the entire street is the right, respectful way to move forward. So we want to keep the boulevard and honor Arthur Ashe through this honorary designation. Thank you for your time and your service. Good evening. My name is April, and I live on the boulevard. Tributes are meant not only to honor, but to bring people together, not tear them apart. The people that would be most directly affected by this change have voiced in different meetings many reasons why they do not accept this plan. Many of us who live or work on the boulevard have proposed compromises and alternatives. If you continue to push your idea unchanged, the only things you achieve are pitting people against each other and failing the duty of your political office, which is to help facilitate democracy. Silencing or ignoring people never brings any good. True democracy and politics advance by compromise, not by force. This issue does not need to create any winners or losers or hard feelings. Everyone can win. And I still believe the best way to achieve that is to rename the Downtown Expressway in Arthur Ashe's honor. Being a main state thoroughfare means more people travel on it, and that alone makes it a more visible and more suitable tribute. It won't get lost on the street grid as another line like renaming a city street will. The GPS will recognize it easier, and changing the name of the Downtown Expressway is an issue that all Richmonders can have an equal voice on. So please, make the choice to work with the people who entrusted you with, not the job, but the duty to represent them, and make the smart choice for more visible tribute. Thank you. And Excuse thank you me, for your can you tell us your last name, please? Ah, Pecked. Pecked. Thank you. Hi, good evening. I'm Stephen Verson, and I have the pleasure of serving as president of the Museum District Association. Our neighborhood includes the Boulevard Historic District, home to numerous businesses, institutions, and residents 
that help make our neighborhood the wonderful place that it is. As you know, the Museum District Association is comprised of volunteers. We were not elected to represent the neighborhood, rather we have chosen to serve it, which I think is how most of the other neighbor associations are. I don't think they poll their members when they make statements. When issues arise that will directly impact our neighborhood, we do three things. We try to study the issue, we facilitate discussions with those who are most directly impacted, and when possible, we find win-win solutions. In studying this issue, one finds previous attempts to rename the boulevard, one in 1993 and again in 2003, an almost identical ordinance to what's being proposed here. That was after a lot of debate, a lot of controversy and ugliness, and time spent on the issue was soundly defeated by city council. Less than six months later, city council passes the sections that have been referenced earlier. Section 8.9 of the code states that street names indicated on general usage maps for 50 years or more should only be changed under exceptional circumstances. And I'm not sure we've had a case made that these are exceptional circumstances. As MDA president, I've also sought to facilitate discussions for Councilwoman Gray with, effective res- with the affected residents, which Councilwoman Gray has been very willing to do, and we appreciate that. You have all heard from several of the affected residents. However, in an effort to give a complete representation of the sentiment of everyone on the boulevard, they went through the cost, hassle, and expense to send postcards to every address asking the property owners to weigh in on the issue. The message was clear and overwhelming, as you saw. The people want to honor Arthur Ashe. They do not want the name of their street changed. I should mention that this included 31 addresses north of Broad, 100% who said they were in opposition to the name change, but were also in support of an honorary designation. Lastly, when it comes to finding win-win solutions, the residents of the boulevard have proposed one worthy of consideration. Permanently designate the boulevard as the honorary Arthur Ashe Boulevard. I believe there are other good ways to do this too, as was just mentioned, and we, would be, and we would welcome being part of those discussions. Honoring Arthur Ashe. Sure, you have 30 seconds. Honoring Arthur Ashe, recognizing him as a native son of Richmond, is important work and not something that should be pushed through quickly without process. Our neighborhood values and celebrates history. Our neighborhood is comprised almost entirely of nationally recognized historic districts and places. We know that the city, we know that the history of the city and our neighborhood, as complicated as it is, is what helps make our neighborhood the wonderful, unique place that it is. We strive to be good stewards of our neighborhood and of this history. And to me, this means adding to our history, not changing it. Almost done. So let us together honor Arthur Ashe. Let us follow the laws of our city. Let us listen to the voices of those who live and work along the boulevard. And let us add to the history of the city, not change it. I believe we can do this together. I want us to do this together. Not by renaming the boulevard, but instead by adding to its history, permanently designating the boulevard as an honorary Arthur Ashe Boulevard. Thank you. Thank you. Madam Chair, that looks to be all the speakers. The public hearing is now closed. Back to the committee. So um, just a couple of points. There was no um, contact with other associations other than the Scott's Edition Boulevard Association Board, and then there was an announcement or conversation that began at that meeting. There was media present, and word got out. So any contact that was made was 
personally by me calling the presidents of the association. So I just want to be clear that I was attempting to work my way through all of the associations that touch the boulevard. And because there was an incident in the area, there was media present at the Scott's Edition meeting. So I don't want anyone to feel as if there was an attempt to delay contact with um, the Museum District Association. It was always um, important to me to reach out to everyone involved. Um, I would ask folks if they would consider the flip side of honoring the boulevard with an honorary designation and changing the name to Arthur Ashe. The history that is very significant to us as a city happened on the boulevard. Arthur Ashe couldn't play on the tennis courts on the boulevard as a young man. He was turned away simply because his skin was brown. He is the comeback story for our city. He was able to come back and play the inaugural Davis Cup match and win in 1968 on the boulevard on the very courts he was denied access to based on the color of his skin. This is a beautiful Richmond story that I believe should be preserved in our history and it should be done in a way that we permanently and profoundly designate for our native son, Arthur Ashe. So if anyone, um, I know we are going to continue meeting. I extended and continued this paper for folks to be able to get the word out, and I've done everything I can to get information out via media and anywhere else to, to everyone so that people are notified and informed about what's happening. This is not a done deal. There are family members and other folks who've gotten enthusiastic and gone out and done um, things on their own. The, the government, your government, has not done anything other than I put an ordinance forward um, to honor this individual through a street naming. And um, I hope that people understand that this, in my opinion, is a unifying force, and it's something that we can exhibit to the world at large as movement, as forward movement for our city. Thank you. Uh, first of all, to the men of Kappa Alpha Psi, it is great to see you represent uh, someone I knew or knew about uh, from pledging in uh, 1986. Um, Arthur Ashe was someone that we looked up to um, while we were online and one of the individuals we had to know about. I also knew about him because my family is from Richmond, uh, my mother and father, um, one Northside, one Church Hill. Uh, and they were aware, well aware uh, of the challenges that, uh, uh, that presented itself to people of color growing up in Richmond at that time. Um, and so, does 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 Arthur Ashe deserve? Uh, I, I think it's 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 a challenge to say anyone deserves anything. That's human, right? Groucho Marx once said, "I'll never belong to a club that would allow me in as a member." Um, and so 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 we do get on uh, a slippery slope. Um, has Arthur Ashe did Arthur Ashe do great things? Without a shadow of a doubt, uh, he did. 
uh, he did excel uh, in his field of human endeavor uh, and beyond. And so that is without uh, without question. I'll say this up front. I am not for uh, an honorary designation. I'm just not. If you're going to honor him, honor him. Uh, and that's one thing I would say to my uh, to my colleague. Um, if he is a native son of Richmond, then let's do right by him, if, if that's what the choice is. Um, it, 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 this doesn't have to be a black or white issue uh, because he represented a country um, as an American. And so I think we, we should try to find a way to honor and recognize Arthur Ashe. If, is this the way? Um, I guess this process will help us to understand if this is the right way or not. Um, I will say this. Um, this should have been done long ago. How Richmond was going to celebrate Arthur Ashe um, should have been done long ago. He is far too deserving to have this discussion in 2019, just flat out. And, and honestly, it, it's kind of alarming that we've waited this long to honor this man. Um, and if it were my father, my father would say, keep it. Just what? Appreciate, but keep it. This should have been done, this should have been done long ago. Whether we were going to name a building, a school, a street, whatever. It should have been done. It's interesting that it's been three or four attempts uh, to name this particular street after him. That says something. What? It's up for interpretation, but it says something. Um, and I think that has to be heard. I, I, I'm interested, um, and, and I don't know if I can ask a question, Madam Chair, and get a, a response, so, so I'll just lift it up. Uh, of those who came down uh, uh, in opposition, how many of them live on the boulevard? That says something. That, 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 that says something. And I guess the other question would be, of the individuals who are for it, not just here tonight, but of the other individuals that live on the boulevard, how many are, how many are for changing it? Because, again, this shouldn't be something that divides our city. It, it just shouldn't be. That's not the right thing. You, how can you honor someone and a large portion of our community where the change is taking place, it's ripping that community apart? They should be, because what I don't want, I don't want you guys to be, I don't want you to be singled out as saying you don't like Arthur Ashe because it's a black or white thing. Because too many things are easily polarized in our city with everything that's going on. Um, and I don't, I don't want you uh, pegged as, oh, we don't like Arthur Ashe. We don't want this done because he's African-American. Um, someone might feel that way. I don't know. And, you know, someone may not feel that way. But the issue is I don't, I don't think that would be a fair assessment for our city, uh, because that's too easy for individuals on the outside to get a headline that says people are against renaming Arthur Ashe uh, or the boulevard after Arthur Ashe, and then they show four or five white people in line, and now our city is pegged as, oh, same old racist Richmond. That's not fair to the city I live in. That's not fair to the city I raise my kids in. It's not. Arthur Ashe deserves to be recognized. He's earned that based upon how he lived his life and honestly based upon how he died and lost his life. 
People who died of HIV were demonized. They were demon and still are. And that is so unfair. That is so unfair. So we have an opportunity to make a statement as a city. As a city. And I hope that we find a way to truly recognize my frat brother. Because I knew about Arthur Ashe long before so many people did. Because we had to recite it online. Notable men of Kappa Alpha Psi. And he was one of them. And if you had got Upsilon wrong from UCLA, man, we were going to have to have a conversation outside. (laughs) But I hope that we find a way in days like these to unify this city. And that comes from the person who put forth a measurement to take down the monuments. We have to find a way to put our city and keep our city together. The entire city. This is one RVA. And so how do we make that happen? How do we celebrate this man and have men and women that live on the boulevard say, hey, this is great, or in this city? I don't, I don't know the answer. I will not stand here and say or sit here and say that this is the right thing or the wrong thing to do. You're going to have individuals who will come up and say on the school side, well, if you do this, uh, you know, the money that you take uh, uh, to change the street names or the street signs, that money could be put towards school, towards schools. I'm tired of that rhetoric, that narrative as well, uh, because people on council have used it. If there's something they don't like, they throw, what about schools? This is money that can go towards schools. I'm tired of that narrative because, again, we will find money. <laughs> I learned this in church. <laughs> people find money for what they want to find money for. And so I don't want this to be an issue of money. Um, I want this to be really something that unifies the city where everyone, everyone can come out and say, this is a native son of this city in whom we are well pleased and we approve of this collectively. And I hope we can get there to become that beautiful commit that, that beautiful community. Um, and so I have more questions than answers. Uh, I do know one thing. I think it is he, do, he doesn't deserve an honorary sick, uh, designation. He just doesn't. Um, we need a process by which we uh, debate issues like these and get the word out. I know the mayor, I know council has passed uh, 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 and approved a commission that the mayor has put forth that will look at the historicity and things like these. And I know this uh, particular measure came out before uh, we voted on that. But that's why we need that. Um, so we can figure out who we recognize, when, and how, and share th- and find the best way to get it done so we're not tearing up our communities. And that's what I don't want to see. I do not want, and, and I, I hope uh, that our friends in the media do not spin this in a way in which individuals are divided by race in this measure. And, and, and please, please, uh, please know that that is my sentiment. Sir, to losing your parents, my heart goes out to you. My prayers are with you. That is not uh, something easy. You can be 40 and it'll make you feel like you're four. Uh, and so my heart goes out to you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Jones. Um, 
I, you know, as Miss Gray uh, wanted to let you guys know how long I've been around and how many times I've had this conversation, I'll go back and reinforce it. I was elected in 2003, um, and at the time, Walter Kinney had an ordinance before this council to change the name of the boulevard to the uh, the Arthur Ashe Boulevard. And um, he was serving as an appointee uh, while we went through a re-election process. And I was elected in 2003, and Mr. Kinney, of course, uh, I I took took that seat for a permanent council member. And so the first, very, very first night, I was elected like on a Tuesday, I guess, and city council meeting was Monday, the next week. And the big issue was naming the boulevard. Um, I'd like for Mr. Cara, if you would come forward to tell us what the administration uh, would be confronted with uh, as a or your designee, I should say, uh, if this change of the name of the boulevard, what, what the administration would have to do in order to support that, making that happen. Good afternoon. I'm Kara from Department of Public Works. I will say that uh, if this uh, ordinance goes forward, we need to change the signs on uh, boulevard between Hermites and uh, the Bird Park. There are about 38 signs, city signs. Out of them, there are 21 historic signs. And then there are signs will be at, they are on Downtown Expressway at 195. They belong to RMTA. There are four signs that will be changed. And there are about five signs on I-95. So altogether, on interstate system, under control of VDOT, five sign, four for RMTA, about 38 signs that the uh, city of Richmond needs to do. And at this time, we have uh, inquired state and RMTA. The cost of the signs that will, for the city of Richmond, will be in the range of about $30,000. How much? About 30000 And then RMTA, they quoted that uh, the upper part of the cost could be about $200,000. And that's what they estimated. I, we believe it can be lower. And then third one, VDOT, estimating about $100,000 because they are on the interstate system, maintenance of traffic, and those kind of things. But VDOT is already in the process of uh, uh, doing some ITS signs on the interstate. If the ordinance gets passed uh, soon, then I think we have opportunity to work with them to do part of their change in the sign program. So there could be a cost uh, uh, saving opportunity with VDOT. For the total estimated costs uh, is over? About $330,000 we estimated, but that can be reduced working with the RMTA and VDOT. 830000 330. 330. 300. Sorry, thank you. $330,000, and... And 
Let me just say I met with the mayor, and he is working with the Secretary of Transportation um, to, as Mr. Kara said, now, working with them because there were sign upgrades and changes already in play, and if this were to pass, it could dovetail those actions and not create additional expense on the VDOT side. That's true. And, uh, but RMTA, the process for them, we checked with them. It could be procurement process, and those could take about six to nine months. And, but for City of Richmond, if, uh, we will be looking into about 60-day process to change the signs. Okay. All right. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure that that we shared that information, that if this ordinance is passed, that there is a cost associated with it, and there is a timeline that is associated with so that the expectations are fully appreciated on both sides. Thank you. I I know Arthur Ashe pretty well. Uh, kind of almost grew up in the same little outside of the city country area where a lot of his family live. And so um, I also know his character and his demeanor about um, being honored. Um, he really was a very humble man and and didn't necessarily seek a lot of recognition but got a lot of recognition because of the great works that he done in so many different ways and honoring recognizing him has nothing to do with the color of his skin nothing whatsoever I mean um, and I'll say that for For many folk, whether they're African-Americans or whether they're not African-Americans, whether they're minorities or not, you know, if I'm going to be recognized, I want to be recognized for the great works that I do, not because I'm an African-American woman. I can't do nothing about that, and so I choose to love it and hope that anyone else will. Uh, And if they don't, Asset in their tank, not in mine. <laughs> so, having said that, <laughs> after three weeks of being at home in the bed sick, guys, I'm going to try to control myself. Because uh, you all get me to the point of feeling a little sick all over again, and I may have to go home for another week, but I hope not. I appreciate all you coming down. I appreciate your comments. They're all valid and understood, and I share your passion. I share also your discomfort and the pain that is associated with it. Um, But I will say to you, there are some things that we have to, I think, that we have to do, and I do consider it a part of my duty and responsibility as an elected official that there are things that have happened in our, and when we talk about healing, I don't think it's just about racial healing. I think it's really about 
um, the due diligence that is due for the great things that people have done that makes Richmond a great city. And Arthur Ashe has done that. And he didn't ask for anything. He isn't asking for anything uh, prior to his death. And I don't know that his family has asked for anything particularly to honor him. And I know the stress that they went through when we went through because we moved from the boulevard here again, Walter Kinney and the monument, let's do something, and Chuck Richardson and some other uh, council leaders, when we did the monument. And that was just unbelievable, the challenge that we went through in this city as it relates to that monument on Monument Avenue. Um, and so, no, I agree. I, don't, I, I hope not that we would have to go through that level of uh, division and separation in the process. But, you know, I really do feel that some of the few persons that have made such a major contribution in the city of Richmond, that we should take advantage of those opportunities to know that we would have signs on 95 and other interstate highways just through the city itself. Um, I respect the fact that there is a recommendation for an honorary naming. I do think that the history of uh, the city of Richmond and the boulevard itself and the disservice that was done in those days past. We hope they are still days past. Uh, there are times when we wonder if they are. Um, but what happened on the boulevard is significant as it relates to a person that we denied the a privilege of just playing a game to have gone on to become such a wonderful, wonderful, acknowledged tennis player internationally throughout the world was a Richmond son, as you've all called him, a Richmond son. And that's music to my ear. So I, I really don't think that, I think that we... Um, need to really uh, evaluate what's the gift that this man can still give to Richmond? And are we willing to accept the gift, the gift of exposure of the city of Richmond that he has to offer us? Should we pass that up? And my answer is no, we shouldn't pass that up. We just absolutely shouldn't. And whether or not uh, the patron, Ms. Gray, wants to move forward with this paper now or whether there's reason to have more conversation, but we should not pass up the opportunities to significantly make sure that the world knows where Arthur Ashe created the legacy but tennis in the entire world. Let's not pass up that opportunity, Richmond. Let's not pass that up.
So I'll entertain a motion uh, from the patron as to how she would like to see us proceed to the next level based on her confidence that we've done everything that we should and can do to give recognition to one of the greatest gifts that is before us. Ms. Frey? So, um, in my heart, I think this should be forwarded with a recommendation for approval, but out of respect for the residents of the boulevard, I'd like to um, recommend that we forward this um, with no recommendation so that we can have an additional public hearing and allow city council to hear and um, do a roll call vote on this issue. Second. And, and I guess I can get with uh, uh, Bobby Vincent offline to ask uh, uh, a particular question I have as far as naming or renaming streets, expressways, uh, and or whatever. Um, but but I, I hope uh, that all of our colleagues, as we as we gather together, because um, I'm interested to hear and help me out. Uh, I believe this crosses how many districts? Three. Three. Uh, so, but it touches the entire city, every district, and the entire. Well, I understand that. I'm the just entire asking, nation and the world at I'm large. Just, I, I understand that. I, I get that. I, I'm just saying I, I'd, I'd be interested to see because it's what it's two, one, and five, and so I, I, I would love to get. Um, I would love to have uh, two and five. That is no, no one and five. Uh, Park Radzelesto and uh, Councilperson. Um, Addison, I would love to, to have them opine on this as well because, again, this impacts um, their district and uh, the people uh, that they serve. I believe this has to be a win-win um, because to not have it be that, Richmond's been divided for so long. And if the boulevard is the right thing, then, hey, then make it Arthur Ashe Boulevard. Uh, if it's another street that it needs to be, uh, then we do it up. But I, I think we can ill afford to have it be um, a divisive issue. Um, and so, especially to the tune of $330,000. Um, because, again, people on council have said uh, for a whole lot less that those monies and those funds could go to schools. And if we're going to keep that narrative alive, then we need to have a consistent ethic. Uh, because again, that is a considerable amount of money. So, second, Mr. Jones. Uh, yeah, I'll second. Time time is over. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes, ma'am. We're gonna go. Was that a second, Mr. Jones? Yes, that's a second, Madam Chair. <laughs> the committee is voting on a motion to forward item four, ordinance 2018-228, to council with no recommendation. Mr. Jones. Vice Chair Gray? Aye. Chair Robertson? And let me just say to the, to the communities of all, when we move a paper to council with no recommendation, it means that everything that we've done in committee, we have to do it all over again. And that means we have two 
you sit here today, right, from 3 o'clock to 6.30, when we do not have, when we don't bring papers to, this, to the committee with a sense of resolve or at least an amendment to the paper so that it can be resolved, we repeat the community time of discussion again. So I would strongly encourage all of you to be prepared to come forward with amendments or resolutions so that we can not have to have this again. And if it's divided at council, and council decide after you stay all night to continue it, it means we'll do it all over again a few times, okay? I just want you to know that. And, um, but we're here to serve, and we're here to have as much transparency and as many public hearings as we need to in this chamber and outside this chamber in the community because we want people to be, um, even if you're not satisfied, you at least are willing to agree. So we thank you for your time. We'll see you again on, is it Monday? Yes, ma'am, January 28th. January 28th? Yes, ma'am. And we'll do it again. Enjoy the dance. Madam Clerk, what else do we have on the docket that we have in reserve? Um, we have three more papers for consideration. Call, would, can you call them up? Yes. As a block or? Yes. Okay. Yes, We'll take a chance at it. Okay. All right. So our, um, the next items for the committee to consider, item six, ordinance 2018-311, to erect stop signs on the northwest and southeast corner of the intersection at Juniper Street and 3rd Avenue, and to install a curb ramp on the northeast corner at the intersection of Juniper Street and 3rd. Madam Third. Clerk, uh, the Council meeting, the next council meeting is on February the 11th. This paper will be February 11th before they all leave and say we have to give them Yes, this paper will be considered at council on February the 11th. February the 11th, 6 o'clock p.m. Thank you. I do apologize for that. No problem. Thank you. And we have item 11, ordinance 2018-334, to amend city code and appendix A of the city code for the purpose of revising the fees for permits for certain activities in the public right-of-way. And we have item 15, ordinance 2018-287, to amend and reordain the city code for the purpose of imposing certain requirements of the use of city-owned real estate as cold weather shelters for homeless persons. Would the members of the committee please uh, come back to their seats so that we can continue this meeting? Media, would you please give us opportunity to finish our meeting? Ms. Gray, I don't have a committee. I need, I need people back to the, to the, no, I need you back here. Uh, this is not a chance for media to be interviewing uh, the committee before we finish our docket. Mr. Jones? Actually, I was confirming, I need, actually, I need I was confirming for the press that the February 11th is the correct day. I appreciate that. 
I appreciate that. But I want to finish this meeting as well, guys. You're running all my energy out of me. Be kind. All right, Madam Clerk, have you read it, all the papers in? I have, and again, those items are items 6, 11, and 15. 6, 11, and 15. All right. Call for public hearing, please. At this time, do we have those that would like to do we open the floor for a public hearing? Do we have those to speak in favor or opposition to the papers before committee? Seeing none, the public hearing is closed. Back to the committee. Motion. I'd like to recommend that we forward these um, for approval to the full council. Thank you, Ms. Gray. Second. The committee is voting on a motion to forward item 6, ordinance 2018-311, item 11, ordinance 2018-334, item 15, ordinance 2018-287, two counts with recommendation to approve. Mr. Jones? Aye. Vice Chair Gray? Aye. Chair Robertson? Aye. Thank you. Um, Madam Chair, we do have a discussion item, um, but I think that based on previous, a previous conversation that we had, that we will continue that to another time. Yes, we will. Thank you. Um, and Madam, <laughs> Madam Chair, that concludes all the items on today's agenda. All right. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And this meeting is adjourned. And thank you to the members of the committee. Appreciate it.